When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Tom Stewart's decision is in at the Tribunal. Four weeks for him. And we'll do some footy tinder on a Tuesday night as we like to do. So we'll get swiping. one 736 Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Great to have you on board. I hope your day has been as good as it possibly can be, however you've been putting it in, wherever you've been putting it in. It's great to have you uh, with us this evening right around the country on the SEN network, however you're finding us. Wherever you're finding us, you can call us on 1300 736 736 on the Harcourt's open line. You can text in 0433981116 on the temper text. Temper, a mattress like no other. A couple of bits and pieces of news to get through. Uh, the Maccas run normally where we do our news of the day stuff. Um, but Tom Stewart's tribunal decision was handed down four weeks. Uh, Geelong wanted three, uh, AFL wanted four. Um, after about 37 minutes of deliberation, the jury went with a four-week suspension for Tom Stewart uh, for that hit on Dion Prestia. Uh, Alf's calling in Elwood. G'day, Alf. Hi, Sam. Good evening. Uh, I've listened listen to a fair bit of the conversation and it seems to orientated around the basic thing, issue, how much, whatever. Mm. But I don't think the basic principle of what is occurring is being addressed very well. The principle is that the AFL allows a situation which I consider dangerous, a workplace danger, because the margin of error is so tiny, regardless of whether you perform the action perfectly or not. Therefore, I think the AFL have got themselves in a corner for legal redress because I think people who have been concussed will say, well, why didn't they act in my interest for health and safety? If there's an action that has got a 90% probability it can go wrong, I don't think they're going to win that one in a court of law. I think basically the principle is it's a dangerous act that cannot be allowed simply because the margin of error is too fine for, for a problem to occur. And it occurred here. It'll keep occurring. So why we know it's going to occur, why do we allow it to happen? It's an it's a interesting question, Alf, um, and it's a pertinent question. So the bump was only ever meant to be a shepherd, and the shepherd was really about just uh, blocking for, for your teammate with the ball so they could uh, get some separation, they could carry a bit further. Yeah. 
give them some time yeah. um, to disrupt the attempt of a would-be tackler. Um, yeah. It then got weaponized, and people a bit older than me will be able to tell me exactly what decade it got weaponized in, but I was born in 81, and it was certainly a weapon back then when players used it to take out other players. Yeah. It, it got vicious. It got ruthless. And we used to celebrate it as part of the game. Biffs, bumps, right. brawlers. There was DVDs or back then video cassettes that came out. Um, and then we started to realise slowly over time that there was uh, an insidious um, yeah. underlying and issue that was getting worse and worse and becoming more and more prevalent. And that was concussion yeah. and the effects thereof. So players still sign up to play knowing that the bump is in the game. So that's the, you, you're aware of it. Um but what the protection is supposed to be now is that um, that the penalties for executing it like Tom Stewart did are going to be pretty strong. Uh, whether you think four weeks are strong enough, uh, I'm not sure. But the, the no, penalty I, now I, is I, supposed I, to be that if you choose to bump and you get it wrong, then you will you will cop a whack. But you can still bump if 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 you choose, correct. and you can get it uh, to get it right. Are you seeing too many go wrong, Alf? That has you. That's why no, you're, well, you're saying this. What? What I'm referring to and seeing was a report by a surgeon 20 years ago. He said, I'm seeing the injuries that you get in car accidents from the footy field. And because players are not like they were when that rule was instigated, say, 100 years ago, players now are absolutely hard and fast. He said, I'm seeing the sort of injuries to joints, to head concussion, that are typical of a city car accident. Now, does the AFL acknowledge that they are leaving themselves open to an incredible amount of redress legally? I can't see them getting out of it. Oh, I think there are, I think there are some of those things in play at the moment from people that are suffering the effects of concussion. But yeah. that look, Alf, another very good point you make about the rule that was and and the the, the physical attributes right. of the players that are now and and yeah. how much fitter, stronger they are today than maybe yes, that they, right. they ever have been and, and, and faster than they ever have been. Much faster, yeah. Hey, uh, Alf, I really appreciate you making the call. Uh, a lot to Thank consider you. in all yeah. of that. Um, and, and again, that these are the moments where you do need to go away sometimes and think, are we okay with everything as it currently stands? I, I've always been one that said, I think we've got this right, that, that, that there is still a place to shepherd in the game. There is still a place to be able to bump. It's just how you do it, the manner in which you do it, that I think is is the crucial part of it. Um, but these moments come along and, and it, they do give you pause for thought to say, am I still of the same view that I was before this incident as I am after it? So it's a good question that, that Alf raises. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to have your say on that and to answer that question from Alf. Uh, a couple other things making news before Jordan Canellis comes in um, to do a little bit of footy tinder. Um, so the story that Carolyn Wilson uh, spoke about last night on Footy Classified was uh, in regards to Brad Hill, um, Paddy Ryder, who didn't play in the... Sydney game on the weekend. Apparently, Brad Hill had some personal issues uh, during the week and missed two games, two sessions of training, which meant that he wasn't going to be considered to play. Um, Paddy Ryder, it was said, uh, was always going to sit out um, this week's game uh, as a rest. Um, the story was that there was a verbal altercation that occurred after the Essendon lost at a pub in Mordialic. Brett Ratton was asked about it in his press conference today. Boys went to a hotel. Um, had a few beers, um, a few words were said, and they left. So that's, yeah, that's what happened. 
I, I feel for Paddy and I feel for Hilly um, to have to actually put up with it. And I think we're, we're really haven't got the full knowledge and we're jumping at shadows and hearsay without actually getting the evidence. And I think, you know, we, we need to make sure we put this out because it's not good for people. Um, Bradley had personal issues that he has to deal with um, and we need to respect that. And Paddy Ryder was managed because he's 34 years of age and he might have to get managed again before the end of the year to get through. He's had a hamstring and Achilles um, and it was in our plan. So, yeah, it is actually pretty disappointing that um, this has been inflamed. And yeah, I agree with all that. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there, but I'll bet lefty that Paddy Ryder and Brad Hill did not walk into a pub after the Essendon loss and start mouthing off at people and trying to um, and initiating verbal disagreements. I, I will be happy to plant my flag in that spot. Uh, and I am certain that I'm not wrong. I don't know because I wasn't there, but I'm certain that they wouldn't have gone in looking for trouble and looking to get themselves into verbal. I'm fairly sure that whatever verbal altercation took place, in fact, I'm, I'd be, I'm happy to say I'm certain that that was not initiated by them and that they left. So maybe, just maybe, and again, I wasn't there, but I'm wondering whether we might just say, hey, well done, lads. Some members of the public decided that, and I'm just guessing that after a loss of that destiny, maybe a few people gave them a few choice words about what they thought of the performance. Um, how off, how much should players have to sit and cop that? Well, you'll all have your own view on that. Maybe they did. Maybe they listened a few times before they went, okay, you've made your point. And maybe it was done in a way that was um, a lot less polite than it probably could have been or respectful than it could have been. And then maybe they shot a few choice words back, which they are well within their rights to do. Um, when someone oversteps. Again, I wasn't there. I'm just guessing that this is how it unfolded. And maybe instead of saying how disappointed we are in them, we might just say, hey, well done for, for not letting it escalate any further. Now, again, I wasn't there. Don't know what happened. I'm just guessing. But I, I would be very confident of planting my flag there and being proven to be right. Um, so Brett Ratton has addressed that. Um one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Jordan Canellis does a magnificent job of um, producing this show a couple of days a week, and then um, in his well, not in his spare time, in in his in his other working life. Just if he's not calling some of the greatest Socceroos moments in history, he's calling for AFL Nation. Uh, what mic are you on there, Jordan? I can't see you behind me. Number three. There we go. Hello, mate. Hello. One two one two. We're yeah, on air. You're on. You're on. Um, Again, I'm, I've, I've planted my flag in something with no evidence, no knowledge, no mail. That's how we do it here. <laughs> would, would, would you be pretty certain that Paddy Ryder and Bradley Hill haven't walked in and started mouthing off at people of their own accord? Yeah, I don't reckon they've gone in after a loss to a, to a <laughs> pub or a bar looking <laughs> yeah. for beef. No. Just to, just to feel something that night. No, I don't think they've done that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they've done that either. Uh, so, yeah, I think Brett Ratton's on the money there. Uh, let's do some footy tinder. What have you got for me? All right, I got one off the top. Oh, hang on, we've got to set this up properly. For oh, those who right. don't know, uh, footy tinder. On the sporting capital.
It's time to start swiping with Footy Tinder. Uh, so this is where we um, we read some of the biggest statements or speak to some of the biggest issues that have occurred in the game, and we swipe left if we disagree. Just like on Tinder, you swipe left if you're not interested in dating the person that's profile pops up, or you swipe right if you do agree, uh, just as you'd swipe right if you wanted to match with the person that come up. And if you uh, super like something, you swipe up. But you only get one of those, otherwise you have to start paying. And if you've got to start paying for Tinder, then something's wrong. Uh, what have you got for me? Right, I've got one off the top that is, um, it's kind of topical after the weekend they both had. We haven't been talking about it much in the in the aftermath. There was a bit spoken about it yesterday. But uh, the De Koning brothers are the most watchable pair of brothers in the AFL. All right, so how many brothers do we currently have? The Walkers? Oh, no, actually, sorry, one of them's playing Waffle, so the Fredericks. Uh, we've the got Walkers the King. is where you went first. No, no, well, I'm just working my way around the map, and that's I've started, well, I interviewed Brandon Walker the other day. Now, that's why it's fresh in my Jeez. mind, but his brother's playing Waffle, so I'm just starting in the West. Fredericks, at, uh, one's at Port LA, one's at Frio. We've got the Kings, but one's not playing, so that would almost rule the Kings out. No, 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 you could... I, 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 reckon, go there. Well, I thought yeah, you meant currently playing. No, if they're injured, it's fine. You consider them. Uh, I'm going to... I've got I've got the I've got a, a short list of names. Yeah, give here. me some give me some brothers. Right, all right. Ones that are that that, that are in the mix. The Crouches, the, no. the Berries at Brisbane. Uh, oh, I do like Jared Berry. Tommy, I think is going to be a player too, but we don't, haven't seen enough yet. Dare I say they're both playing twos at the moment? But the Browns at Collingwood. Uh, no. Move on. Uh, the Fredericks, as you said, very exciting players. The McGovern's. No. Right, let me let me ratchet it up a bit. The, Mitch just haven't seen enough yet. The uh, can't the, stay out there. The Guthries at Geelong. Well, that's not a bad one. The Guthries at Geelong are both consistently in the best twenty-two uh, yeah. at Geelong. The Henrys, Jack Henry, Geelong, Ollie Henry, Collingwood. Not a bad one. Jack there. the hero and Ollie Henry clutch goals. He's kicked. They both uh, scored only, the winner. There's actually. only two players that have uh, kicked more fourth quarter goals than um, than Ollie Henry. This season? Yeah. He's kicked 11-2 in last quarters, I think. 11-2, 11-4. Yeah, he's clutch. Uh, The Mackays, Harry and Ben. Never seen him in the same room. Don't know if they're still not. Can't (laughs) can't confirm or deny that they're not the same person. Yeah. Uh, The, I got, uh, I think I've got two more here. The McCartans. Doing very well as a dynamic duo down back for Sydney. You're a footy purist. I'm not saying, you're a footy purist if you, if you, would put them in your watchables. Paddy's I like taken them. the most I, intercept marks this year. So. I like them both. That's, yeah. not a, that's not a slight on them either. And uh, maybe the, uh, the the top two contenders to challenge the De Konings, uh well, the Kings, yep. who you mentioned, and the Dacosses. Yeah, the beautiful Evie's already texting the Dacos brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even let you finish your sentence before she was up here. <laughs> um, so, oh, look, at the moment... Because they're both playing, it's the De Konings. But when the Kings come Ooh. back, I think it'll be the Kings. But right now, okay. right now it's the De Konings. This is watchable, by the way, not the best. Yeah. And Max is, Max is just having a little down patch at the minute. Mm-hmm. So he's not even carrying the can while uh, Ben's injured. At, just at the minute. They they will end up being, I think. But at, right at the moment, the De Konings are box office. Good golly. For their, for their age as well, yep. the, Sam is in his first season and, uh, and, and Tom is... Playing his first consistent season, yep. basically. Um, yeah, this, this is a, a pretty good run they're having so far. Uh, what's next? So, I'm swa- so am I swapping left or right? Because uh, I agreed. Did you, you're swapping right. Yeah, I'm swapping right. Uh, all right, into the serious stuff. Essendon should move on from Ben Rutten. 
Nas what left on that? I get sick of this sack coaches after two years. He's in his second official year. This this stuff takes time. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be down years. North are having a down year. Essendon have backtracked a little bit. But there's growing pains and there's second-year blues. We, we're so quick to want to sack people in this industry. Sometimes it just takes a little longer. You know, just, just be patient. And I know that's – I'm not saying that to Essendon fans because I don't actually think it's Essendon fans leading the charge. They've been the modicum of patience because they've had to wait for so bloody long to win another final. But it, it doesn't happen in an instant. So – Sometimes it is a couple of, you know, one step forward, two back, but just let it play out. I think three years minimum for a coach. Similar vein, uh, but you can approach us differently. Uh, so for Alistair... Oh, you missed the Brayshaws as well. That's coming through. Oh, yes. That's poor of me. I did miss the Brayshaws. The Kernos. Wow. Oh, my God. Someone said the Green Brothers at the Giants. Well, they're spelt was... differently. They're not brothers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was scrambling during the last... Keep uh, going. Anyway. Uh, Alistair Clarkson, the best fit for him as a coach would be Essendon. <laughs> Swipe left. Swipe left. No, the best fit for him is is Tassie when they get their team. That's a better legacy piece than anything. Is that the best fit or just the, well, he, the one he that he spoke to today see. saying if he wants to come back, it's to win premierships and yep. looking at the making the best choice. I'll try and play that audio at some stage, maybe after nine, what he said on a podcast. Um, so it's to win premierships, but... So he would, my view, and I don't speak on behalf of Alistair Clarkson, he wouldn't give one iota of, you know, what about what I think, and nor should he. Um, To me, I've just always thought Tassie. I'm stuck on the Kernos. Does Ed hold up his end of the bargain? Not at the moment, but he's been a warrior. We're talking watchable here. Yeah, we've got about 30 seconds uh, before we've got to get to a break. Last one. Want to go to the break then? Okay, we'll come back. (laughs) We'll come back with a bit more footy tinder. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. If the Brayshaws aren't the most watchable brother combo in the comp, I'll eat my hat, Jimmy Neltham. They're the best performed, but the the question was the most exciting. I'm getting flamed off the text for this. (laughs) Yeah, the most exciting. So I'd say they're the best performed and the two best players that are brothers at the moment, but the Deconings are more exciting to watch. Uh, Jordan Canellis, uh, you got another footy tinder for yeah, me? Two to round us out. James Sicily was fined for taking oh. Aaron Norton's headband off on uh, Friday night. Uh, should he have been? Super dislike, fun police of the highest order. There's a room for a bit of mischief in the game. That is as ridiculous as it gets. I wonder if the if the, that's just a an easy collect. Um, but I did hear a press release uh, that the AFL are also cracking down on dead arms, nipple cripples, noogies, wet willies and wedgies. <laughs> So look out for those. That's a nipple cripple on the footy field. Super dislike for and that call. That was overkill of the highest <laughs> order. MRO. Yeah. And in uh, so on the Nat Fife uh, scenario, which hasn't really been spoken about because it is probably a non-incident anyway that he touched the umpire but was pushed into the umpire. Yeah. Um, in a in a scuffle like that, or when you know when players are coming to blows or whatever the situation may be, should an umpire get himself involved and be the mediator, or should he just let it happen and then? Find them afterwards. Well, they're told to intervene, and I just don't think it, it puts them in the best possible light, the umpires, because no player's ever stopped the scuffle because the umpire was yelling at them. I just don't think it's fair on the umpires to ask them to do it. I'd say just let them go, find them what you need to find them, so report them if you need to report them at the MRO afterwards, mm. and just bounce the ball uh, and move on. They'll tucker themselves out in the end eventually, um, they, and they don't overstep anyway, really. So I think it's overkill. Yep. Uh, and I don't think it's fair on the umpires to ask them to do it. Easy. That's footy tinder. Done and dusted. Hey, we've got a brand new Brownlow show coming up next. All thanks to Betfair. Uh, Stick around.
listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, really excited for this new weekly segment. Over the next couple of segments, uh, for the first time, the Brownlow Lowdown with Tom Haylock, all thanks to Betfair. Lay bet on AFL markets only at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. We have 15 rounds into the season, and uh, the Brownlow market is one of the most complex and hard to predict. So to help us get ready for the Brownlow this year, yes, we are a fair way out, but we need to be to make sure that when the night comes that we are fully up to speed. Uh, we are fully armed with all the information that we need, and to help us do that, all thanks to Betfair, Tommy Haylock is with us. Hello, Tommy. Hello, mates. Great to be here. Yes, exciting. Uh, been a fantastic year, and obviously last round was sensational. So I can't wait to to get talking into Brownlow. First things first, Betfair. You guys are a little bit different from the others out there. Explain how, please. We we are. Yes, we're a peer to peer betting exchange, which is different. Obviously, it's not um, a punter versus a bookmaker. It's peer to peer. So basically, if you're an Iowa at a, at a pub and we're a Talking about the footy and, and you like whoever it might be, the Crows to beat Melbourne this weekend, um, you can potentially have that bet with me and we don't trust each other with the money. We just met, whatever it might be. We basically give the money to the bartender to hold the cash. He holds the cash throughout the match the, the, the match, and uh, gives the, the cash to the winner at the end. So we are in essentially that example, Betfair. We are the, the bartender there. So we're peer-to-peer, um, which often means you're betting into pure markets. So you're, you're not having that market percentage built mm. in on the corporate side of things. No one more trustworthy than a bartender. If you, if you, <laughs> no, seriously, maybe a butcher. Uh, ne- I've never met an unhappy butcher, have you? Have you ever seen Don't a butcher so. that's not Don't smiling? So. Never, ever. I worked in pubs for a long time and uh, your locals would always come in and sit at the bar and leave their money there and it would always be there when they came back. So the so the analogy is a very good one and now I implicitly trust you. Good. Um, I'm glad to hear. So one of the features of the Betfair website is the Brownlow predictor. So Brownlow markets have become more and more um, followed uh, over the years and I think people start looking at them a long way out, people start to try and identify trends uh, over the years and just to try and get a fix on how the umpires are seeing the game, things that they uh, tend to do and what they don't tend to do, what they see, what they don't see, where you can get an advantage and try to get ahead of the curve on what we might be uh, set to experience on Brownlow night. So talk to us about the Brownlow predictor on the Betfair website. Yeah, that's um, well explained in terms of what we're trying to do here. Obviously, just before I go into that, a perfect example, Jack Steele at round 15, um, round 16 last year, he was $42 on Betfair. So we can read markets like this. He came into $7.80 on Brownlow night, amazingly. So things can change. Um, The Brownlow predictor, well, there's a lot of people out there, as you said, it's becoming more prevalent in the the Brownlow betting and the Brownlow markets and whatnot. On Betfair Hub, betfair.com.au forward slash hub forward slash Brownlow Metal Predictor or search for it in the hub. You can see it on the homepage as well. We have a uh, basically an algorithm um, that does tracks all sorts of odds. It's a content provider, but it, it tracks each player throughout the year and it predicts who or who thinks who they think is leading and the value and the odds. So you can check it all out on Brownlow uh, on the betfair.com.au forward slash hub website. It's all there. It goes round by round. It has a bit of a, a rundown on all things from last round. And um, it has the market at the moment with Andrew Brayshaw actually on 22 and a half votes, Sam, and Lockie Neal tied with 22 and a half votes as well. So it is amazing. Um, Clayton Oliver next on 22 votes, and he's actually favoured on the Betfair exchange at the moment, Clayton Oliver. This is – I find this really interesting. So Andrew Brayshaw um, 
We've seen uh, his older brother have a, a top four finish a, a few years ago. I'm curious about this because some things sometimes we see where a player has a breakout year. Yes. So the the we as an industry will will be uh, really we we will identify that early and and start to talk uh, a lot about that particular player. It seemed over the years, though, that maybe the umpires are about a year, and this is not a criticism, but a year behind. Go back to Dane Swan when he won it. Exactly yes. the same point. Yep. So they have the breakout year, and you think, oh, that surely. But they don't quite have the attention yet of the umpires, and then that will come after. It's, it's amazing how much the media actually influences the market and also potentially the umpires' votes the next year. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that's my concern with Andrew Brayshaw. Um, I we have a, a guy at Betfair that does a similar thing to this in terms of algorithms. He actually takes um, votes and polling history into account into his algorithms. Same with the, the Brownlow Medal predictor on here. We've um, picked the last three winners in a row, so we've got a good strike rate with his Brownlow Medal predictor as well. But that that's all taken into account. Media votes, um, the Herald Sun votes, whatever it might be, is all taken into account in a lot of these algorithms and models, and, and we produce things like this. So at the moment, uh, on the Betfair Brownlow Medal predictor, you've got Brayshaw uh, just ahead of Lockie Neal. Yes. Uh, just ahead of Clayton Oliver. Then Paddy Cripps, Christian Petrarca, and Sam Walsh. Now, just comparing that to the coaches' votes, who have got Clayton Oliver, Lockie Neal, Andrew Brayshaw. So uh, the top three is the same, just in a different order. They've got Paddy Cripps at four in the coaches' votes as well. Took Miller is at five. You guys have Took Miller at about tenth, uh, if I'm having a look at that there. So, um, and, and interestingly, you've got Jeremy Cameron in the top ten at the moment. He's in the top ten for the coaches' votes as well. And amazingly, he is a great point, and the beauty of Betfair, because we um, – we are a peer-to-peer betting company. He's $130 on Betfair at the moment. He is incredible. We've got him, what is it, seventh or eighth on the Brownlow Metal Predictor, and he's 130 to one. So if he continues to finish off the year, he might be worth um, having something on now at that price, and he might firm, especially once the media get a hold of him. He's obviously high up in the, the coaches' votes there. He might start shorter, and you can actually trade out on Betfair, Sam. That's the beauty of it. It's like a stock market. So you can actually... Um, back him high, back him at 130. He might come into 50s. You can actually lay him later in the year as well and make money that way without even getting the result in the night. So how does that work? Well, um, it's like a stock market, exactly exactly like a okay. stock market. So if you take a price, you, yep. you basically back high and lay. So laying is a, is a unique offering to Betfair as well. So you can actually bet on someone to lose or bet on a horse to lose, whatever it might be. Mm. So you can do the same. So you can actually you can lay first and then back high, exactly like a stock market. You obviously buy stocks at a low price and sell them at a higher price and make profit like that. You can do exactly the same. You can lay Andrew Brasher at $6 now or whatever it might be. And if he has a bad week, he might drift out to $7. Then you can back him, and then you've got both sides of the bet. And for a small profit, that dollar profit in between. So that's the beauty of Betfair. It is like a stock market, and it's an exchange. So it's a bit unique to um, the offering we have. So if I got Jeremy Cameron at 100 and what was it? 130s. And then he comes in to say 20. Yes. And then I lay. Yes. What do I What do I get? You'll get the difference, basically. So okay. you can actually have him for profit for no liability, or you can actually lay him for more than you originally laid, or backed him for more than you, oh, sorry, laid him for more than you originally had and make m- money either way. There's also a cash-out function. You can actually cash out on Betfair as well, just simply if they firm like that, there's a cash-out function. So you can just click click the cash-out, and you have a, a what's known as a green book and profit on all runners and a profit on the market, depending on market moves. 
All right, so we're going to try and uh, the, the the purpose of the Brownlow Lowdown with Tom Haylock is to try and identify the trends in the market that are occurring uh, in the lead up to the Brownlow, the most prestigious award uh, in VFL AFL history. Um, we do it all for Betfair. Don't let the bookies make the rules. Back or lay, same game multis only at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. One 858 out. So Tommy, often you see um, a bolter early in the year that starts to fizzle later in the year, not because their form drops, but maybe because the expectation or the standards that they set are sometimes to their detriment. There's players who really jump out of the blocks and then despite not really dropping off in form, they don't tend to attract enough votes because I think that we've they've been able to set a bar and maybe the shine... It's an amazing point you make because... I actually coach footy, and it's actually similar. Like, I do votes at the end of a game, and you yeah. have these expectations. These, these players might play incredibly well, but they might have 28 instead of 35, and you, you mark them harsher because of that, the benchmark they set. It's it's similar. Um, obviously, Dustin Martin, like, he's probably having an okay year comparatively, but you compare him to his mm. best. He's not quite as good. But um, what you're looking for now, heading towards the next half of the year, and who uh, – the, the run home? Teams winning is huge. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you, you win, you're more likely to get votes. It's as simple as that. So you look at the run home. If you're looking to to back now and trade later or, or find an edge that way, you're looking at the run home. You're looking at performance against other teams. There's a couple of guys on this weekend that um, are up against teams that they poll notoriously well, well against. So that's another talking point. So round 16, um, according to, to you guys at Betfair, is uh, always a, a – that's almost like you can plant your flag here that this is going to be uh, where we start to see big movements um, on um, in the market and uh, on the count night itself. Spot on. Now, you go back last year, round 16, 2021, Ollie Wines was $8.60. He firmed all the way into $3.50. There's a massive... It's it's fascinating, Sam, especially after round 23. There's no more games that can actually contribute, but the market moves. When people start doing their research and the media hypes them up, the markets are still moving so much as well, which is mm. a, massive, a, a massive nuance. Clayton Oliver is another one. He was $6.40. He came into $3.80 in the same time span, so um, from round 16 onwards to, to the final round or to, to the start of the, the night. So two massive market moves, and as I said earlier off the top, Jack Steele was the biggest. He was $42. He came home like a house on fire, and he came into $7.80. Obviously, St Kilda won some, some games, which helps in the back end of last year, but that's a huge go, Six forty-two into $7.80. Yeah, and the one that I, the, 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 the one that backs up the point I was making was Marcus Bontempelli, who from this point last year really did drift, despite I don't think really drifting in form. Yeah, spot on, spot on. He traded as low as $2.76 um, heading into round 16. I think he might have been shorter than that at some point. Um, and he lay, he drifted to $4.80 pre-count. Um, there you go. He, he actually got as low as $1.98 last year at some stage. So it was almost home in, in a lot of people's respects. Um, but, yeah, he might have just, I think Bulldogs kind of lost a few games as well, which might not have helped the, the voting and, yep. his, and that cottoned on. But, um so that's the beauty of Betfair. You could have, you could have laid him at that dollar ninety eight and actually backed him back at four dollars, four dollars eighty, whatever it might be, and make money and have him going for a win with with no liability. Okay, uh, this is a new show um, on the Sporting Capital, the Brownlow Lowdown with Tom Haylock. You can lay and bet AFL matches only at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. One 858 to look ahead to the games uh, this weekend and keep an eye on uh, what votes might be in store for uh, the players on the leaderboard. Uh, that'll be up next. 
You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, new show as part of the Sporting Capital, the Brownlow Lowdown with Tom Haylock. Uh, all thanks to Betfair. Um, looking at the trends uh, as we go through round by round and what we might expect this round from our Brownlow medal favourites, the Betfair Brownlow medal predictor, Tommy, has uh, Andrew Brayshaw from Freo on top. And and you guys on the predictor have got him polling in all but three games this year. Um only two, uh, three, three voters, round eight, 12, and 13. Um, talk us through again how your Brownlow medal predictor comes up with its algorithm for predictive votes. Yeah, so it's all basically computer modelling and data and um, everything's taken into account, whether it be v- statistics is a huge one, obviously win-loss record, polling history is taken into account, um, and even media, so... Coaches Awards, you, you read mm. out earlier, that's taken into account into the algorithm. They weight it all differently. They work through it. But that is an amazing s- statistic around Andrew, Andrew Brasher and how consistent he's been this year. Not polling um, in three games so far, according to the Brownlow Medal Predictor. It's quite remarkable. And I guess Fremantle's story is remarkable as well, how well they've gone this year to start off. It's just whether he – and it's probably why he's not favourite, even though the Brownlow Medal Predictor's got him higher – or leading, it's probably why he's not favourite, how Fremantle are going to finish off the year and whether they can trust trust Andrew Brayshaw to continue his form. So the, the interesting one here is Paddy Cripps. So you've got him three votes, three votes, two and a half votes in the first three rounds. couple of weeks without votes in three, three, two and a half. Then three weeks without a vote before the bye, a couple of votes in round 13, uh, and then no votes from the weekend as well. So... Um, when we have a look at some of those players coming into this week, you've got Brayshaw, Neil, Oliver, Cripps, Petrarca. That's your top five, followed by Walsh, Mills, Cameron, and Crisp. And then Prestia, mm-hmm. uh, rounding out your top ten. Prestia, um, which this is going to uh, upset, I'd imagine, and I suppose he's... Uh, what's the right word? But it's, it's topical, given... The fact that he's going to miss um, this week. But his last few weeks, uh, three votes uh, from round 14. uh, And then uh, he had three votes in round 10 and round 11 as well. So uh, he'd been in a real purple patch of form, which um, makes it even more of a bitter pill to swallow for Richmond Footy Club and uh, Richmond fans that he uh, is going to be missing uh, a week at this stage. Um, And if you're just joining us, four weeks for Tom Stewart uh, at the tribunal tonight. So let's have a look at this week's uh, games and and just give us an idea of uh, what we should be looking at coming into round uh, 15. Yeah, just getting back to to that point about Paddy Cripps. Obviously, Carlton came out on fire. They beat the Tigers round one. They beat Bulldogs round two and Hawks in round three. And Cripps starred in all of them. He... No doubt polls in all three games, and he's a notable three-polar, three-vote polar. So he actually came in uh, after round eight to as low as $2.92, Patrick Cripps. So he was really short um, at various stages. He's now $6.40. So when he polls, he polls well. He can absolutely star um, in what he does, obviously. You mentioned where to this weekend and, and where we can look to to poll votes and make money. Now, Clayton Oliver versus the Crows is one of them. Sam Walsh versus St Kilda and Jeremy Cameron versus North. Now, Jeremy Cameron, for a first point, we talked about him. He's $130. Mm. If he comes out and kicks seven or eight, even the Tex could kick six against North last week. Yep. Um, Jeremy Cameron could have a day out. He could poll again, and he could be much shorter after this week. So that's the kind of stuff you're looking for if you're looking to an edge, whether it's this week, whether it's in two or three weeks' time. He might be value now at that massive price, and you can, um, if he comes out and you think he'll kick seven or eight, 
you you can have him now and he'll be shorter come the end of this week when we're having this chat next week. Um, Clayton Oliver's another point against the Crows. He was fantastic in this corresponding game last year. I think the Crows won by a point in this match last year at home. He, I haven't seen a better half of football from an AFL player, I don't think. That was his effort last year. was amazing. He's polled in four of his last five versus the Crows. You'd think they'd get the win over the Crows as well. He's had three three-vote matches in the last five, Sam. So his record against the Crows is fantastic. The other one is Sam Walsh versus St Kilda. He's... Um, Got the three votes in this corresponding match last season, and um, the the predictors got into chance or got him as a chance to poll in five of the last six weeks, um, which is amazing. So it's it's really interesting. That's they're the three players that I'd be looking for: Clayton Oliver, Sam Walsh, Jeremy Cameron on on this weekend that will potentially poll, and we'll come back and revisit this next week. So who are you thinking that won't be able to poll? So just a couple of the other that are in the the top ten. Uh, second. On the, the Betfair Brownlow predictor is Lockie Neal, um, who's been consistently polling uh, throughout the course of the year. So the predictor has him with three votes in round one, two, five, seven, nine, and 11, and picking up votes in round 13, eight, uh, round 13 and round eight as well. They've got the Brisbane Lions, uh, Brisbane Lions have got the Western Bulldogs Thursday night. Um, last year in the semi, he had uh, 28 disposals, uh, 13 of those contested. Um, what are we thinking for, for Lockie Neal against uh, that powerful uh, Western Bulldogs midfield? For a player of his ability, and he's obviously a Brownlow medalist, he's only polled votes against the Dogs twice in his last six outings. So he's not a notable um, vote poller against them. Obviously, the Dogs have had a fantastic midfield the last three or four years and a really good team. So that's contributed to that. Um, he's polled four votes in six matches, and that's much less than his average in recent times. So... Um, he'd be somewhere in between. It, it all depends on the result there. If the, the Lions are going to beat the Dogs, he's got to play well. But the Dogs are starting to come into form. Paddy Cripps is the other one. He's somewhere in between. He's um, polled in around 2017, 18 and 19 versus St Kilda, but nothing in three outings since against the Saints. So that's uh, an interesting one. The the two that be concerned, well, the main one that would be concerning here that might drift is Andrew Brayshaw versus Port Power. Porter found form and he hasn't polled against the power in his career, amazingly. So, and he hasn't, uh, he's only cracked 20 disposals once in the last five matches. So his record against power isn't good, but obviously he's having a, a breakout year. So, Yeah, you'd expect Willem Drew to, to, to go to him potentially as a as a tag. And Petrarchy you've got as another one here that's a potential lay this week. Yeah, never polled a vote against the Crows in nine matches, which beggars belief, really. He's surely due. <laughs> and that's another way you might surely want to look at due. it. Surely due. He, he's been a bit down, and that's a common discussion point among who you're looking for. And a lot of people, we, I sent a tweet out earlier, Sam, a lot of people are gravitating towards Oliver if they were to to bet now because Petrakas probably hasn't been his best and Gorn's out. Just with that, what there's the old adage that in a team like Melbourne, um, when it comes to, say, Petrarca, Oliver or Gorn, that players, they're going to take votes off each other. Yes. So they've but Oliver and Petrarca have been right up at the pointy end of the the, the polling in the last couple of years. Gone uh, as well. And then you look at a game like where Viney had a, a best uh, was his best game that I've seen him play for Melbourne mm. uh, on the weekend. Just gone against the Brisbane Lions. But then does does Lever get votes as well? So d- d- is there any truth to that adage that these players take votes off each other? There definitely is. Now Oliver still managed to poll thirty one votes last season, and you look at this year. Oliver's um, Gorn's been out. 
so he's missing. And Petrakas probably hasn't been at his best, especially in the last four or five weeks. So last week was brilliant. He was fantastic. He's yeah. back to his best last week. But he obviously had that illness one week and performed poorly. But um, that's potentially why a lot of people are gravitating towards Oliver because Gorn's been missing. He polled 16 votes last season. And obviously a lot of them were in games that Oliver polled as well. But you go through last year, especially first half of last year, round one and two he polled three votes, Clayton Oliver, and then... He went from round 8, 9, 10, 11, pulled four consecutive three-vote games when they won. So he, he definitely gets vote, and he's got that season under his belt now that the media have jumped on him. He was fantastic last year. He stands out. His ball use has gotten a lot better in the last two or three years, and he stands out. So he'll pile well. Uh, off the text from Lee and Nary Warren, how accurate has his system been in previous years? They've won, tipped a, tipped a winner three out of the last four years. So, so the, the Betfair Brownlow medal predictors got it right the last three years on the bounce. That's correct. So that's after, obviously, all the voting's done, but um, after round 23. But it's it's been really good. Um, fire off any questions to us as well. Happy to answer them in the, the consecutive shows or the weeks coming at... Uh, a lot can change, but I'm looking forward to how we go in the next few weeks, Sam, with our predictions and who we think will poll well this week and next week, and we'll um, see what the firmers are week in, week out, and see if we can make a bit of money for people out there if they want to trade and do a bit of that on Betfair as well. But, yeah, like like I said, Cripps, Cripps was 292 after round eight, and he's drifted. So, Hey, uh, great first edition um, of the Brownlow Lowdown. Tommy Haylock will be with us every week on the Sporting Capital. So if you've got any Brownlow uh, questions uh, as we look forward to that uh, brilliant Monday evening uh, at the end of the year, we're just trying to get a a gauge on where the market's doing and what the players are doing. Tommy, we'll speak to you next week. Go away, mate. Thank you. Uh, Up next on the Sporting Capital, future stars, AFLW draft tomorrow night. So... Uh, potential top two pick Jazz Fleming to join us and Sarah Black as well. Stick around. North Melbourne now with Horn Francis. Here he is. The young man. The gun. Goes to Hugo Hagen who puts all his skill on display. Pick one of the NAB AFL draft. On the Sporting Capital, welcome to Future Stars. Yes, indeed. Welcome to a special edition of Future Stars. All thanks to Bravo Management, part of the Sporting Capital on SEN. We're helping you get draft ready by filling you in and educating on how the stars of the future get draft ready. And tomorrow night, the AFLW 2022 draft will take place. Coming up uh, in segment two, we'll speak to a player who we're expecting to go very high in that draft, and that is Jasmine Fleming. More about her shortly as I welcome in co-host this week, uh, a man who is watching this with eager anticipation because many, many uh, of his clients are up uh, to the possibility uh, of being drafted. James Pitcher from Bravo. Pitch, hello, mate. Hello, Sammy. Thank you for having me again, mate. Um, bear with me. I've it's, it's been a busy period leading up to this. Where, where's so your voice gone? It, it, it actually, I've left it downstairs, to be honest. It's uh, it's only just hanging in. You actually so, sound worse than Pickers. I, I know. <laughs> it must be something in the Bravo management team. So, But, um, no, look, really looking forward to tomorrow night. It's getting to that stage now where these girls are getting quite nervous 24 hours out. Um, but, you know, obviously all the hard work's been put in and it's now up to the clubs to, to decide. Before we welcome in um, our draft guru, um, and we'll be heading up the coverage, Sarah Black, uh, to join us in just a, a moment from afl.com.au and from womens.afl. Just take us through your role leading up to this. So you've got uh, a collection of your clients and there's um, a lot of young women who 
hands would be sweaty, knees knocking, nervous as every draftee is, hoping to hear their name read out and to have a dream realised. What's your role in the build-up to the draft for your clients? I think, Sammy, it's very much a mentoring role, especially as they come through this interview process with the clubs. This is all really new to them. They'll have you know home visits, Zoom interviews, the whole box and dice. And I think it's working with our clients, getting that feedback from AFL clubs as to where they sort of see them in what range and what particular uh, fit within the draft. Um, and then, you know, educating the players that, you know, you've done everything possible now and let's just, you know, keep our fingers and toes crossed and uh, you'll land somewhere. All right, well, let's go to our draft guru to take us through the ins and outs of how this draft's going to unfold. The action will be starting from 7pm Marvel Stadium, but there will be full coverage uh, on the AFL and the AFLW website. Sarah Ollie, Riley Beveridge, uh, and the lead AFLW reporter and writer for AFL.com.au and uh, on the AFLW app and website. Sarah Black, always so generous with her time, has done her mock draft, and you'll see her on the coverage tomorrow night. Sarah, hello to you. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, apologies off the top for my voice as well. I really am <laughs> <laughs> working with the walking wounded around here. We're just hanging in there, Sarah. We're just hanging in there at the moment. I know, I know, but really, it really is an exciting time. We've got 87 selections um, coming up tomorrow night, so there'll be plenty of new homes, and of course, all 18 clubs um, will have AFLW teams for the first time. First things first, Sarah, it's a little bit different, the AFLW draft, for those that aren't familiar. Just talk us through the zones. Yeah, so because the AFLW is part-time, obviously, um, you know, there's a few restrictions on where the players can go because, you know, if you've got part, if you've got a job or, or study outside of footy, um, you know, it's pretty hard to move across the country for six months at a time. So players can nominate which state they want to be drafted in. That doesn't necessarily have to be their home state. Um, but it does limit which clubs um, can pick them up in the draft. It's been a little bit of uh, conjecture, a little bit of controversy around some of the nominations. Um, it would, it's got a little feisty in the build-up to this. Some people not too happy about some of the places that players have nominated. Um, just talk us through the, the story in and around the potential number one draft pick, given that we've got four new clubs. They'll have a lot of early draft picks, as you'd expect from um, teams that are just ha- about to have their first season. Yeah, so expansion period, as you said, um, first 13 picks are going to go to these expansion clubs. Um, and All Eyes in Victoria have been on Montana Ham in the lead up to this draft. She's a really tall midfielder for AFLW. She's 180 centimetres. Um, beautiful mark of the footy, sort of wheels and goes. Um, and she's, uh, she was approached by the Swans um, and has chosen to take her footy up north um, to Sydney. So that's really thrown a cat amongst the pigeons. And she's not the only top Victorian talent to also head north. Um, Sophia Hurley is a really beautiful user of the footy from Sandringham. She also uh, looks set to be taken by the Swans as well. So Sydney fans are thrilled. Uh, some of the top Victorian clubs, not so happy as, you, as you'd understand. <laughs> So, Sarah, how do you see the overall depth of this this year's draft? I mean, uh, the information and and research I've sort of gathered from the AFL clubs is that we're very fortunate that whilst these couple of girls have nominated different states, the depth in Victoria in particular is quite strong. Yeah, well, I think what we're beginning to see is um, girls who have played footy from a very young age. Like, I feel like we've been saying this for a couple of years now, but this group in particular... Um, you know, as I'm going through and doing player interviews and stuff, you say, oh, when did you start playing footy? Oh, I started when I was four. And they just haven't stopped since. 
So that's really helped um, a lot of things, particularly as Essendon and Hawthorne have really combed through the VFL and sort of taken the cream from the crop uh, to help their list builds. So it's really important that we're getting a lot of strong talent through the NAB League um, to help support the 10 teams in Victoria. Let's go through your mock draft, your top 10, and, and we might even get you to, once we've done that, just to fill us in on the best of the rest. So when the other teams get to come in, West Coast have got pick 14, will be the first club outside the expansion clubs uh, to choose. Who's going number one of the Swans, Sarah? Yeah, so number one, we've already spoken about her, Montana Ham. There's not many like her um, in the competition. Charlie Rowbottom, last year's number one, would probably be a similar sort of mould. Um, just a really tall midfielder who can also push forward. Uh, and I, uh, I, I liked uh, the likening to uh, Jazzy Garner, who's uh, one of my favourite um, AFLW players. I think he's just such a, a versatile player, can play in every position on the ground. So that's what you're getting uh, for, uh, from a Sydney Swans point of view if you're a fan of them. Hawks, Hawks have got pick two. Hawks have got pick two, and it is a familiar name um, in Australian sporting parlance. Jasmine Fleming, um, she's a really classy user of the footy, great midfielder, really, really mature girl too. She's the daughter of Damien Fleming. Her mum, Wendy, plays elite netball as well. So... Uh, um, yeah, she's she's really well set up to, to, to really dominate this competition in the future. Who's she play like? Uh, oof. She said that she likes to model her game on the burst of Patrick Dangerfield and the ability to take on the game of Mon Conti. So if you combine those two attributes and throw in a bit of cricketing ability, fielding, you know, ground ball work, <laughs> then you get Jazz Fleming. Well, I was going to say, Sarah, I hope your mail's strong because I think it'll be a, a very romantic notion if she ended up with the Hawks, being a, a strong Hawks family as yeah. well. So, And obviously, I mean, the Gary O'Donnell uh, Association as well. So if she did end up sliding through to the next Victorian pick, there'd be another romantic notion on that uh, regard as well. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up with the number 10 jumper as well. Are you able to tell me as well, uh, Sarah, obviously SA had an unbelievable carnival. What, what's the depth of their talent? Yeah, it's super strong this year. I feel like we've said it a few times, but um, even with the introduction of Port Adelaide this year, it, it, I feel like a, quite a few Victorian clubs are circling and looking at, well, you know, there's, we've got 60-odd picks coming out of Victoria, um, you know, and only... 10 to 12 coming out of South Australia, then there's going to be some really talented girls who miss out. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if later in the draft we see a few Victorian teams pass on their final pick, um, you know, with the hopes of picking up a South Australian talent because they really they dominated the under-18 carnival. Um, you know, they were winning by 80, 90 points. Nice so, little, uh, yeah, we can expect some pretty strong footy to come. Nice little segue from you, Pitch. Sarah Black, uh, afl.com.au <laughs> and the uh, AFLW uh, website as well. We'll be heading up the coverage with Sarah Ollie and Riley Beveridge tomorrow night from 7 on the AFL website. Port Adelaide have got the third pick. Hannah Ewings is a girl who I expect to end up at Port Adelaide. Um, really powerful midfielder from North Adelaide. Um, really strong in the contest. Um, just a really reliable midfielder who's proven at sample level too, um, you know, which is the difference with the, the NAB League for girls versus those in other states. Um, she's actually played some senior footy before. Hey, just uh, rifle through uh, the rest of the top 10 for us, Sarah, before we get to uh, the best of the rest outside. Yeah, so number four, this is where things could go either way, but I think Essendon going to go for a key defender in Mackenzie Erdley. Uh, Sydney, Sophia Hurley, I mentioned her earlier, really classy midfielder. 
Hawthorne with six. Amber Clark, who's a real X factor, um, forward midfielder, a national hurdler as well, so really strong athletic player. Pick seven, Port Adelaide, Sarah Goodwin, a really nice user off half back. Pick eight, Charlotte Batskarin, uh, West, Western Jets captain, really strong, tenacious midfielder. Uh, pick nine, Hawthorne, Bridie Hipwell, versatile player, can play inside mid or even a, a target inside 50. Um, and Hawthorne with pick 10 again, Riley Wilcox, really classy user of the footy, explosive, can play in the mid or up forward. And when you're building a list, that versatility um, is really useful. So West Coast have pick 14. So just give us an idea of the talent coming out of Western Australia uh, and also with Queensland. You've given us a couple of the Sydney names um, that have come out of there. I see you pick 11, the Swans. You're thinking uh, Cynthia Hamilton, who's part of the Giants um, Academy, might be heading to Sydney. But what about from a WA point of view and a Queensland perspective? Yeah, WA West Coast could actually end up with the number one pick. If this was a national draft, Ella Roberts could end up being the number one overall She's a really, really exciting player, um, proven big game performer, forward midfielder. Um, and Lauren Wakefer, who's a ruck, who looks like she'll sit out the first year with an ACL, but she's so talented that the Eagles want her straight away. Um, Queensland, Alana G's the top prospect overall. She's going to head to the Suns, I reckon. Um, good inside midfielder and, and a really lovely girl to boot. So I think the talent out of Queensland in particular is very strong this year. Western Australia, um, in terms of under 18 Talent not as prominent, um, but quite a few mature ages I expect to be picked up because of that. Now, Sarah, I need your uh, some yes. help with something. Uh, one of the girls you haven't got listed uh, in your phantom draft, but I'd like a steer on is Janome Anderson, Jed Anderson's little sister. She's obviously had the uh, had the ability to nominate Gold Coast, but she's selected Victoria. Where do you think she'll end up? What range do you see her landing? Yeah, so Janome's so talented. She's a really lively forward, can push into the midfield as well. Um, I think she'll definitely be up there in terms of the first 20 Victorian selections, if not the first 15. Um, you know, that sort of talent, it's, it's hard to overlook. Um, yeah, so I expect her name to be read out relatively early in the draft. Sarah, thank you so much. You've given us a great insight on what we might be expecting uh, from the top 10 and then a bit beyond that uh, as well uh, around the States. Cannot wait for this, and I'm sure that the players can't either. We uh, only a couple of weeks ago <laughs> weren't sure when the season was starting, so to click in the gear the way that we have and to have tomorrow night set to go, what an exciting time. Maybe one of the most exciting times given we've got the last four teams coming in. What a, a, a landmark moment that is for the AFLW. Good luck with the broadcast tomorrow night. Uh, we might even catch up with you after the draft to get your thoughts then. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. Sarah Black, uh, 7 o'clock, uh, AFL website uh, with Sarah Ollie as well and Riley Beveridge. The coverage of the 2022 NAB AFLW draft will be on and you can catch it all at afl.com.au. This is Future Stars. Uh, all thanks to Bravo Management, part of the sporting capital on SEN. So the player predicted to go at pick two pitch, Jazz Fleming. Um, what a, a family rich in sporting heritage. We'll meet her after this. You're listening to Future Stars on the Sporting Capital. You certainly are. All thanks to Bravo Management as we're gearing up to tomorrow night's AFLW Draft. Sarah Black from AFL.com.au gave us her phantom top 10 and then took us through some of the best talent from the other AFLW zones. So the player... 
James Pitcher from Bravo Management, that she expects to go pick two to Hawthorne, uh, is a player with um, family sporting heritage uh, unlike many others. A very strong pedigree, you could you mm. could say, Sammy. So, no, great to have uh, Jazzy on today. How are you going, Jazz? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. That's a pleasure. So, Jazz Fleming, um, be fair to say that sport uh, runs quite deep and sporting talent runs quite deep in your family. Yeah, I think I'm pretty grateful. Um, even just seeing the stuff that's come out in the past couple of days, I... Um, didn't even know half of it. So, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> thrill for me. What did, you, to see. what did you learn about your, your, your folks and your fa- family sporting uh, tree that you weren't quite aware of? Obviously, Dad as a cricketer and uh, Mum as, as a, a netballer. netballer. Yeah. Um, what else did you find out? Yeah, I think just the depth um, to how I'm related to the Rankin family in Geelong. Um, I think I always knew, but I wasn't too sure how and, um, you know, if they were my great-great-grandfathers or uncles. So, yeah, it was um, cool to see that kind of put out today. It's quite ironic, Sammy, because obviously the two Victorian expansion teams coming in to, uh, to the AFLW this season, one being Hawthorne, who Jazz yep. has grown up supporting, and the other one being Essendon, who she's got a family connection through the O'Donnell. So it's and it's quite funny that they've got picks, or picks one and two, I should say, in Victoria. So they're right in the mix for Jazzy. How are you feeling ahead of what's to come tomorrow night, Jazzy? And do you have a preference about where you, you want to end up? No, I think um, my main goal is just to get drafted. And I think that's similar to a lot of the girls, or all the girls, really. It's just a dream to um, actually play AFLW. Um, and then obviously to kind of have a connection with um, Essendon and Hawthorne is pretty cool. So, um, you know, that would be extra special. But try not to focus on that and just really looking forward to hopefully um, getting picked up. Now, Jez, we're, we're talking about the, the end product in a way and what we're about to uh, embark on in the next 24 hours. But, but tell us and, and tell our listeners, uh, when did you start playing footy? Yeah, so I started pretty early, I think. Um, I started Kick when I was four, I think, uh, with my brother and then started playing with the boys at Ashy Redback for a couple of years um, and then had to take a break um, for a couple of years just because I was um, trying to pursue other sports. And then in 2017, joined back in the girls' um, comp at my local club. And then, yeah, ever since I've kind of just been playing nonstop. So was that gap from footy, was that because of netball or because of cricket or, or, or both? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. I think um, at the time... Uh, the boys were getting a little bit too physical. I was a a small child, I think, and I did love footy, but at the same time, um, cricket was really booming, and I think I obviously loved it a lot, and even netball um, and basketball. So I think it was a decision to kind of pursue those um, that I did have a pathway in. You've been... uh, So so just take us through that choice, because it must have been such a difficult one being pulled in. And I'm sure you weren't pulled in any direction, but your heart was probably pulling itself in a few directions, whether it be netball because of mum or or cricket because of dad and um, footy because you'd you'd grown up playing it. It wouldn't have been an easy one to have to make when it came to the the crunch of having to to pick one. Yeah, I think it's probably been over the past 12 months where I've really had to choose um I think I've tried to play as many sports as possible um and I've really enjoyed all of them making friendships um but yeah I'm 
thankful that mum and dad haven't been too um, harsh on it. And I think they just want me playing whatever sport I love. So it's um, kind of comforting where I don't have to, unfortunately, I'm not a netballer, but mum, you know, loves I play footy and even cricket. And dad, even with, um, at the moment, my choice at pursuing footy, um, you know, he's a, he loves the Hawks and loves the AFL. So I think, um, yeah, it's really good to have the support. So we're speaking to Jasmine Fleming, uh, by the way, predicted to go pick two in tomorrow night's AFLW draft to the team that she grew up barracking for in Hawthorne. So, Jazz, what have you taken from the other sports and been able to utilise from a footballing point of view? Sarah Black's scout on you in her article says that you're a smooth-moving midfielder with a deadly sidestep, can break the game open with elite ball skills, pace from stoppage, calm and composed under pressure, and is already a noted leader an eloquent speaker, which we're hearing uh, right now. Have you taken anything from cricket or and netball and deployed it in footy? Yeah, I think probably starting with cricket, um, just being around a professional environment from a pretty young age, I think has helped me a lot um, with training habits and probably just playing and being around older people. Um, so I think that probably helped me a lot. And even um, the explosive nature, it's a very... Uh, low game but it requires a lot of fast moving movements in the field or I'm a fast bowler so um, you know an explosive step to bowl Um, and I also think ground balls I think having to field a fast uh, cricket ball coming my way probably helps um, you know attacking the ball in footy Um, and then I think basketball and netball just footwork wise and um, ball skills wise I think they just help me uh, get some you know, normal um, ball skills. And I think they've both helped um, playing them. And Jazzy, you obviously, you had a, a really good final series or a really good season last year, which culminated in a premiership for, for the Chargers. Um, could you tell us a little bit about this season? I mean, obviously you've been juggling Chargers and Metro and Academy, but can you talk us about the process? And I suppose in your mind, when you thought that, geez, this AFL D- AFLW dream is becoming quite real now yeah so after playing a couple of games last season I think it probably started to get real after that seeing a couple of girls um from the Oakley Chargers get picked up um and then I was picked in the AFLW Academy so I think that was an eye-opener to the opportunity um which could happen with footy so yeah played I think six games with the Chargers um had a couple of niggles here and there and then played two games uh, for Vic Metro and had a little knee niggle again that kept me out of the last Vic Metro game and the AFLW Academy game. But, yeah, I think this season was a real eye-opener. I think just every game I enjoyed it more and more and just at training trying to get better and probably just being around some high-level athletes and coaches is probably what um, started to make it feel real. I think being a part of Vic Metro and the AFL Academy, I think, they kind of opened my eyes to what possibly could happen. Well, you had uh, an incredible uh, tournament with Vic Metro by uh, all reports. Uh, and now you're at the precipice on the eve of, of something really, really special. How have you found the interview processes with the club so far? Anything um, that knocked you off guard or anything a little daunting thrown your way? Yeah, I think all interviews are pretty daunting um you know especially meeting coaches and recruiters I think that's something that's um you know kind of foreign to me I haven't had many 
kind of job interviews or anything. So it's kind of my first um, opportunity at that, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think um, with mum and dad going to meet new people and kind of finding out new stuff about different clubs, um, you know, it was an awesome opportunity. And, you know, I haven't been able to support an AFLW club, but, um, you know, I've followed some players closely to, to, to kind of see um, what their clubs are doing is pretty cool. Jazz, good luck to everything for good luck to you and the family for everything that uh, is about to unfold tomorrow night. Obviously, it's going to mean the world to you, no matter where you end up. But uh, as a Hawks fan, I'm just uh, quietly keeping all <laughs> fingers and toes and everything crossed that you end up at the Brown and Gold. And I'm sure that I'm sure Daddy's too. Uh, good luck with it. Um, all the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Jasmine goes. Fleming, um, looking likely to go number two to the Hawks with the first live Victorian pool selection in tomorrow night's AFLW draft pitch. That's all the time we've got left. It goes quick, doesn't it? It goes quick. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, Future stars, all thanks to Bravo Management. Don't miss the AFLW draft tomorrow night. The four new teams coming in. It's exciting times of the season starting in August for the first time for AFLW Season 7. It's all been thanks to Bravo Management. Without bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show up next on the Sporting Capital. Welcome to Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 135050. Get set, go. Local legends want it. A bowls green is just up the road. Search bowls club near me. Ah, yes, indeed. A very good evening. Welcome to Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show on SEN, part of the sporting capital. And what a big couple of weeks it's been in the wonderful world of lawn bowls and what a big month ahead it is. 14 days of Australian Open action came to a close. Uh, and there's plenty to talk about as a result of that. And then it's July 11th that our Jackaroos fly out to head to Birmingham for the 2022 Commonwealth Games. So uh, without any further ado, let's get into our uh, first guest. Uh, by the way, second segment of Without Bias tonight, uh, the winner of the men's singles at the Australian Open, Aaron Sheriff, uh, will join us. But uh, before we get to him, we get to our favourite, uh, Barry Lester. A big week for you, up at a uh, big couple of weeks for you, uh, up at Burley, your home club, host venue of the Australian Open, and then Commonwealth Games just around the corner, mate. How are you tracking? Yeah, hi, Sam. Uh, very, very good, mate. It's just, just been perfect weather uh, up here. We were absolutely blessed, mate. We had, I think, three weeks where hardly any uh, wind at all, and just the weather was we really turned it on for the for the visitors. So, yeah, everyone from down south uh, was loving it up here. Many of them didn't want to go home, but... Uh, it was a great Australian Open and Burley Heads Bowls Club were a big part of it. We hosted for 10 days and from a perspective where you've got to get volunteers to come and umpire and mark and, and officiate, it was a it was a thrill for us and it was great to see so many people enjoy our facilities and what a great Australian Open it was to have so many people enter and record-breaking numbers and, yeah, just a great event to be a part of, mate. Absolutely. A heap of positivity coming out of it. Um, before we get through the, the major results of the tournament, what about your good self? You're in action in the pairs uh, and also in the fours. Give us your results. Yeah, just fell short uh, in the in the men's pairs to the eventual winners, Ben Twist and Aaron Wilson. They played great. Uh, I made the last 16 of the singles, lost by one, uh, put on a really good game there against um, Blake Signal, who went on to make the semis and then uh, made the semi-final of the fours. So deep in all three events, I think in the end I got up to about 25, 24 games over the two weeks, mate. So uh, the body definitely felt it. 
And for those that played more games than me, they would they'd feel it even more. It's a big couple of weeks. And, yeah, like I said, it was just great to um, be a part of it and, and get deep in, in all three events. Uh, absolutely. Hey, um, the, the, we'll start with day 13 results. And, and what a day it was for Kelsey Cottrell. So wins the fours uh, in her team with Sam Ferguson and, and Jackaroos, Lindsay Clark and uh, Rebecca Van Ash, and then just not satisfied with um, a gold medal in that goes on to win the singles as well. Fairly safe to say that Kelsey's had a a cracker of an Australian Open. Yeah, back-to-back MVPs for Kelsey, uh, which is just a phenomenal result. That's uh, four titles in two years. So last year, winning the pairs and fours, and this year, the fours and the singles. Um, for me, I think uh, it, it's a, outstanding. It's quite um, amazing to think that you know a couple of young kids Working, studying, um, you know, that morning the four started at 8am. So she would have been up probably getting the kids ready, uh, head off to bowls and then get back, back up for a big singles event later that day. Um, total hats off for Kelsey. Um, I'm actually getting a little bit of goosebumps talking about it because I've known Kelsey since she's 14 or 15 years of age. And for her to, to be able to do that at the highest level, um, there's so much that goes on. Uh, in the background of an athlete's life than what you just see out on the green. And for, for me personally as well, just uh, hats off to Kelsey. The the match between her and Dawn Heyman apparently goes down as a an out-and-out epic. Yeah, uh, Dawn Heyman uh, won a lot of uh, singles events the last few years. Such a consistent performer. We know what Dawn get it, gets up to in the BPL. The last few BPLs, one of the best female players. Just a consistent performer and... You know, you get out on those beautiful greens there at Broadbeach, Green 4, one of the best greens in the world, um, high-level performance, and both players went end for end. And they looked exhausted, Sam. They literally did at the end of that game. They uh, they gave it their all, and what a match it was. Tenth Australian Open title for Kelsey Cottrell, but this is the incredible stat. Just her second singles victory, the last, 2009, or her first, was 2009 as a 19-year-old. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, Kelsey first played for Australia when she was 15. Uh, she's well up over 400 caps for Australia that I can remember. And um, to do that, raising a family and working and all that, it's it's phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, to win her second singles event 13 years later is, uh, yeah, hats off to what she's been able to do in the game and, and be so consistent for so many years. And she puts in the hard work and gets the reward. So um, to win one title, <laughs> uh, I'll take that. Uh, but to be starting to get in the double-figure territory, that, that shouldn't be allowed, should it? <laughs> oh, a, a phenomenal performance. Uh, in the over-60s, uh, Therese uh, McAlary uh, and Faye Clark uh, beat Sharon McReynolds and, and Sue Kultus. Uh, that was the, the Queensland duo, the multi-disability men's and women's open single. Uh, former Tassie skipper David Minns uh, and Tweed heads Pamela Branton secured the singles titles over Frank Krizlovic uh, and Cheryl Linfield. Multi-disability pairs Cooper White, uh, White Styles and Parajakaru Damian Delgado uh, hoisted the trophy for that one uh, over Philip Mahoney and Clive Williams, and then uh, congratulations to uh, Fred McDonald uh, McConnell, sorry, uh, who took home the singles, and Helen Boardman as well. Um, the pairs you mentioned um, was a, a really interesting one: Ben Twist and Aaron Wilson. What did you make of their win over Ben Winther and Brett Spur? Yeah, uh, for the Victorians to come up uh, playing on fast greens uh, out of the Victorian winter, which I've experienced for many years before moving up here, it's not easy to adjust 
a different climate and the greens are much faster so for those boys to go all the way through to the final play some incredible bowls uh, was outstanding for Ben and Brett. Uh, Brett Spurs renowned as a very very accomplished uh, skipper and for him to set up Ben on the mat leading was a, a, a great uh, I guess part of his skill sets and Ben Winter was one of the talks of the tournament he would have been rated in the top half a dozen best players for the event so great pairs final came down to pretty much the last couple of bowls Aaron Wilson drew a shot and yeah I think probably nearly the game of the tournament um, in terms of the, the spectating and, and the amount of great shots played because it was all square play in the last end. Uh, just in the men's fours, as we're jumping around to some of the results, um, a man that you bowl with on a regular basis, Gary Kelly. Great to see him get some success uh, with Jackaroo, uh, Carl Healy, uh, Wayne Rudiger as well, and uh, the other member of that quartet, Nathan Pedersen. Yeah, all very experienced players. Great combination, really solid fours uh, outfit. Um, you know, Gary Kelly... Uh, he, he wins a lot, uh, and so does the other boys. But for them to come together, I'm pretty sure it would be probably nearly the first time, if not uh, only a couple of times they'd come together. So to get the chemistry right uh, is important, and they seem like they were getting along great. And, and Carl, um, you know, he's he's a very confident person at the moment, which you can't blame him, being selected for the Commonwealth Games. Um, so it was good for him to, to skip a, such a strong side. And Nathan and, and Rudy up front uh, just doing their job well, as always. And it looks like the uh, the women's pairs is um, the, the title for the time being, heading across the ditch to um, New Zealand. So um, it'll be uh, interesting to see next year whether that can be reclaimed. But Paris Baker and Olivia Bloomfield uh, got the win over Wendy Wilson and uh, Trish Doolan. Yeah, really good quality game as well, even though uh, the score got away a little bit at the end. But once again... Um, Toe for toe, you know, sort of just bowl for bowl. Uh, it was an incredible game early on to see the shot play. Uh, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the spectators really enjoyed that game, especially seeing the having that international flavour. And that's what we enjoyed a few years ago when we had a pair come out from Hong Kong and make the final as well. It's just a pure evidence that, you know, you could be playing whatever level bowls, either around Australia or overseas. And if you're willing to come out and give it a go, uh, you can come away with a title like Olivia and Paris did. So that was amazing for them. And um, Olivia's from Nui and Paris was from uh, New Zealand. So that's even better just to see uh, more of uh, that, that sort of um, calibre of players coming from different countries to play in, in what we call the best bowls carnival in, in the world. Barry Lester with us on Without Bias. Local Legends Wanted Search Bowls Clubs near me and for APR proudly supporting Bowls Australia. Uh, the men's singles, Baz, I, I know you would have been just rubbing your hands together to see this. Um, one of the greatest ever Australian bowlers in Aaron Sheriff claimed his fourth singles title over uh, a man that you'll be heading over to Birmingham with in Corey Wedlock. And these are two of the very best in the business, along with your good self, of course. And they put on a, a men's final uh, to match. For sure, yeah. Uh, Aaron got off to a, a pretty good start. And then once Corey got in front, I think he was up 13-10, uh, there was probably a, a bit of a feeling amongst the spectator and the crowd that, um, you know, there's a, a bit of a new kid on the block to take Aaron's titles because, you know, Aaron uh, had, had already won three. And, and it's incredible to think that Aaron went on and won the four, but that just proves how good he is. But uh, Corey, at 25, 26 years of age, playing in, a, in his first singles final, uh, I think that's a sign of things to come for Corey. And they had two really good, strong 
semi-final wins against two really good uh, opponents in Blake Signal and Ray Pearce, both uh, former international bowlers. So the calibre of the players they beat to make the final was incredible, and then they just went out there and did their stuff in the final and uh, played in perfect conditions on that beautiful green there and uh, toe for toe. It was just great to see um, after the game plenty of emotion from both players, and uh, that one meant a lot from uh, from Aaron, and I'm sure it meant a lot for Corey too, just to make the final. And, and he'll be doing all he can to to get that title one day. He's um, he's a very hard man to beat, but if there's a guy that can beat him, Aaron Sheriff's one of them. Are you surprised at Aaron Sheriff not really putting his hand up for international duties anymore, Baz? Um, I'm pretty sure after his uh, sabbatical, which he, he came out and said he wanted a sabbatical last year, um, but I'm pretty sure after the events of this year, coming out and winning some big titles. Um, yeah, I'm sure at some stage you'll be having the conversation. I think Aaron's only still 36, and he's got so many good bowls in front of him, as we saw. We just uh, won, the, obviously, the straight-up single. So um, I personally haven't spoken to him about it, but uh, I'm sure Aaron um, will make that decision in due course. Uh, okay, so you head off on the 11th. Um, how do you feel leading up? I suppose you haven't had a lot of time to think about it given the events of the last two weeks, but you'll head into camp uh, in Birmingham prior to the games. Uh, you guys have really put everything in place from a high-performance point of view. You've got uh, former UK stars Alan Faulkner and Andy Thompson in the setup as well. Um, do you feel like it's certainly a case of leaving no stone unturned to get everybody as ready as they can possibly be for what's to come in Birmingham to claim that elusive Northern Hemisphere gold? For sure, Sam. It's been, it was just a great opportunity um, to get together pre-Australian Open at the Trans-Tasman, have our uh, Common Games bonding camp, get to know the guys a bit better, just tighten up as a group. Um, we, we got into discipline meetings, so we sat down in our disciplines, e.g. pairs, triple four singles, and sat out and looked at all the do's and don'ts and the behaviours on and off the green and, and what's expected of one another. So we've We've really delved deep into that, uh, and then we've done some pledges, you know, pledges on what we're going to be doing as an individual leading up to the games and and as a team, how we can support one another and, and what we'll be uh, up to in terms of our training and, and all that. So me personally, uh, just been doing a bit of work in the in the magnesium pools, uh, just getting the circulation and just yeah, working on the joints and all that stuff. It's, it's good for the body because... We're going to get smashed. There's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a grueling event. The Commonwealth Games, playing a lot of games over sort of ten days. So getting the body right, and we feel as a, as a group, we're, we're all doing our little bit to make sure um, we're we're fit and healthy and ready to go. So we leave on the 11th, and we'll do some training early when we get there, and then uh, play against some local county games, and then head into the village on the on the 24th. Well, Baz, we're going to speak um, before you head off. And uh, we'll go into a bit more detail about what the prep entails, mate. But uh, congratulations on your performances throughout the course of the last couple of weeks. I know it wasn't exactly um, where you wanted to get to, but you would be buoyed by the consistency of your own performances and and those of the squad that you're heading over to the Com Games with. It was a sensational Australian Open, um, and we can't wait for what's to come in Birmingham. Mate, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Sam. Very much, Sam. Uh, Barry Lester with us on Without Bias. Thanks to Right at Home, the official naming rights partner of the Australian Jackaroos. Right at Home, the right care. That's it, right at home. Up next on Without Bias, we'll speak to the winner of the men's singles title. His fourth, the great Aaron Sheriff, will be with us next. This is Without Bias. Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees. Call 135050. Get set, go. Local legends wanted. A bowls green is just up the road. 
search Bowls Club near me. Welcome back to Without Bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show, part of the sporting capital on SEN for Bowls Australia. Local legends wanted search Bowls Clubs near me. Uh, it was great to have Barry Lester on uh, just moments ago, thanks to Apia proudly supporting Bowls Australia. But it is a real thrill to welcome in our next guest. Um, if he wasn't already, he cemented his position as one of our greatest uh, Australian lawn bowlers of all time with his fourth Australian Open men's singles title. Uh, over the weekend on the final day of what was a magnificent two-week carnival of bowls at the 2022 Australian Open. Uh, he beat Corey Wedlock in an absolute classic. It's a pleasure to have Aaron Sheriff back on Without Bias. Aaron, congratulations. Welcome back. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on again. How does that sit with you? Four Australian Open men's singles titles. Yeah, uh, it's probably only just sunk in, to be honest. I had a uh, pretty uh, wild uh, Friday night with uh, family and friends, and it was a bit whirlwindish. And then, you know, just to have some time to to chill out at home on my property, and um, you know, just uh, sit around the fire and uh, with the trophy and that. Um, it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty surreal. It's uh, it's pretty amazing, and um, yeah, really proud of myself. You got pretty emotional um, after it. It clearly meant uh, a lot to you straight away the significance of it seemed like it wasn't lost on you yeah no look I've, I've had a um, you know a bit of a probably a rough 12 months to be honest um, just uh, stepping away from national duties and, and um, you know a, a few other things have, have gone on with club changes and job changes and stuff like that so um, I guess uh, you know Australian Open was an opportunity for me to um, to let everyone know that I'm, I'm back and, and I want to uh, push for national honours again. Um, so uh, to go into that event with uh, such high expectations on myself um, and to, to finish the, the two weeks as a singles champion, um, yeah, it hit me straight away. And then, um, yeah, obviously the emotion of, of winning that and then, uh, also playing against a, a great friend of mine and, and my favourite player um, on the tour at the moment, Corey, and, and what he's been through uh, with his old man um, over the last month was, uh, yeah, it was just, a, I guess, an emotional roller coaster. So, uh, yeah, no, that one meant a lot to me. Speaks to the camaraderie of, uh, of bowls in and around the country. Uh, I got to get a look into that um, at the a recent tournament that uh, I actually met you at. But um, you and Corey had gone from friends to foes pretty quickly uh, for that matchup. You were in the same fours team at the Australian Open. Um, how do you make sure that, as you say, he's your favourite bowler on the tour at the moment? He's a dear friend. Um, you know that he's been through um, a lot, as you say, with his father in the last month. How do you put that to one side to make sure you focus on the, the job at hand? Um, yeah, well, I guess that, you know, Becoming close with with a lot of the guys at the top level, you know that you're going to play against one another in major events and and big matches. So I mean, for me, uh, especially in singles, I just like to focus on what I need to do. Uh, I don't worry too much about the opponent. I just sort of play my game um, and play to get to 21 first. So that's sort of what I tried to do. Um, and you know, like obviously beforehand, yeah. You think about all those things that are that are happening, and um, that what, what, you know the challenges that that life has thrown us both up. But uh, 
you know, when the, when the job needs to be done, you just got to put your game face on and get on with it, really. You certainly do. Um, it was a seesawing battle, which you wouldn't expect anything less of um, between the both of you. You got out to a, an early lead and Corey was able to peg you back and then uh, the to and fro that unfolded was just riveting and it was gripping stuff, befitting of, of the occasion that it was um, in the final. Did what, in, During the course of that matchup, how did you feel like it was tracking and, and did you have any moments where you thought, gee, I, don't, I just can't seem to put this guy away? And Did you ever start to doubt? Uh, no, I felt really comfortable right from the start. Um, I played a, played a really good first end and, um, and you know, got the four and that got me a, a you know, nice little kicker and, um, you know, knowing what a superstar Corey is, I knew he wasn't going to give it to me that easy. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I just really back myself. I, I've been fortunate to be in four finals previously, and um, you know I've had some um, tight, close encounters. I've had some runaway victories. So, I mean, I just used up all that experience. It was Corey's first final uh, in the singles. So, for me, it was just uh, stick to my process, um, back myself in. It's on my home greens now, Broad Beach. I've played a lot on that green four and on on that rink. So, um, yeah, it was just back in that I'd done the work and, and just to, to back um, the form that I've been in over the last sort of six to eight weeks, I guess. Um, I've been really happy with the way my, my bowls has been tracking and, uh, yeah, it all culminated in that day, on that day. And uh, it was a, a brilliant final. There was obviously high expectations in it and I think uh, we lived up to those expectations. So, it's um, yeah, it's really exciting. At home club, you had your your wife and your family in the stands. Uh, I'm sure it just meant so much. Um, you, you've already explained to us, but with those little additions to it as well, made it even more special. You spoke about stepping away um, from national duties. Um, I get the feeling that, and, and I don't know the personal circumstances, but do you feel like there's a bit of unfinished business? You're looking at your Jackaroos teammates heading off to the Commonwealth Games. You've got two silvers on the Gold Coast. You've got a, a bronze in 2014 in Glasgow. Have you still got unfinished business uh, at a national and international level, Aaron? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I uh, had some things that I, I needed to work on and I had some, you know, as I touched on earlier, just some issues with, um, you know, with employment and, uh, you know, in club and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, comp games just at the time seemed... Um, too far away for me to really uh, commit to it. Mm. Uh, I'm really excited. The team that's been selected, I'm, I'm sure they're going to do a fantastic job uh, for Australia when they get over there. But no, I think, um, you know, as I said, the last sort of couple of months has, has sort of proven to me that, um, you know, I've still got a lot to give to international bowls and the national team. So, uh, yeah, as, as much as I, um, I'm really excited and really proud of the guys and hope they do well when they're over in uh, in Birmingham, um, come October, hopefully my name gets called out to be a part of that squad again, and then hopefully push for selection. Oh, we're hoping for that as well, Aaron. Congratulations! Um, a record-breaking achievement for you: four men's singles titles, uh, thoroughly well deserved, and in a, in a matchup between uh, one of the rising stars of um, Australian lawn bowls, um, Jackaroo Corey Wedlock, it'll uh, live on. 
uh, I reckon. And as I said, truly did fit the occasion of a, of a big final. And uh, congratulations to you on your success. And um, we'll catch up with you again as soon as we can. I'm getting the feeling the way that they're coming out of your hand that it won't, it won't be too far away that we're speaking to you again soon after another big win. <laughs> thank you. And um, yeah, as again, thank you for having me on the show. And uh, go the Aussies in Birmingham. Absolutely. Brilliantly done. Uh, Aaron Sheriff with us on Without Bias. Congratulations to everybody, uh, all the winners and competitors at the Australian Open. A magnificent two weeks. And if you got to watch it on Fox Sports or KO, congrats to the under-18 title winners who I didn't have a chance to mention. Joseph Clark, Kate, Argent Bowden, um, and also... Um, to the over 60 men's pairs winners in Ian Stone and Scott Franklin. Congratulations to all that put on that magnificent event as we look forward now to what's to come in Birmingham with the Jackaroos leaving on the 11th. That's it from us on Without Bias. Uh, we do it all for Bowls Australia. Local legends wanted to Bowls Green is just up the road. Search Bowls Clubs near me and for Apia, the go-to insurance for retirees called 135050. Get, set, go. Uh, that is Apia. To the sporting capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, Scotty Sattler still to join us, Sam Duncan as well, our sports media expert. But uh, 10 Aussies in action today, day two of Wimbledon. And thanks to Hume Tennis, perfect also for interstate tennis groups travelling to Melbourne. Check out humetennis.com.au, the resident tennis expert at SEN. We turn to one man and one man only, Brett Phillips. Hello, my friend. Hello, Sam. Uh, yeah, plenty going on. The sun is out, which is uh, good news after a bit of a rain-interrupted uh, Monday. We've just lost the first of the 10 Aussies, unfortunately. Well, this was always going to be a tough assignment on paper uh, for a, a young uh, Victorian who's... Gee, it's been a great effort to get back by Zoe Hive. Mm. She actually had a debilitating uh, illness that sidelined her. Couldn't get out of bed for about two or three years. Uh, Ballarat girl and... Uh, she did a good job to qualify, but yes, yeah, Sakari, the fifth seed, just too strong uh, today. And Darius Civil's in a, a real battle at the moment. Uh, Dash has won the first set, but two all in the second up against Tomovar, a young Bulgarian. And uh, Darian uh, beat down the door, basically, of the All England Club and said, give me a wild card, but she's deserved it this year with the ranking spike. Uh, but she's got some work to do, and uh, Nick Kyrgios uh, about to take uh, to court in just a few moments. He's put everyone on notice. I see Nick Kyrgios he wants to make it as uncomfortable for the top ten players uh, as possible. Uh, I haven't. He doesn't often talk a big game because one thing we know about him, BP, is he's avoided expectation. So the whole idea yeah. of I don't try, therefore if I don't try, I can't be held to a standard. And um, he's able to push through like that. And tennis is just a job, not an obsession, all that kind of stuff. First year I've seen him almost Glenn McGrath-like sort of try, start to make some predictions. Yeah, it's an interesting watch, isn't it? Every time he comes into press or he speaks, you know, you're just sort of studying the body language, watching the demeanour. And it's probably the most focused I've seen him for a little while. Uh, he's put in a good prep on the grass. He's made... A couple of semi-finals in the lead-in. He does love playing on this surface. And uh, the big sort of breaking news in two in the last hour out of Wimbledon that Matteo Berrettini is out with COVID, who made the final last year, had won two leading grass court tournaments. He was on the same side of the draw as a, a possible quarter-final matchup with Kyrgios if they both went that far, mm. Sam. So it opens up the door for Nick. It opens it up for Alex Dimonor on that side. He's going to be out in about uh, half an hour's time, their number one Aussie. But... Yeah, look, Kyrgios, as we know, I mean, he, he can beat any of these guys uh, if he's just in the mood and he stays mentally engaged. Uh, Game-wise, he, he matches up to all of them, no problems, if he can keep it all together above the shoulders. So 
That's always the watch. Uh, Paul Jubb uh, today, 217 in the world. He'll throw caution to the win. He'll just go for Brug. He'll have a roaring British crowd out on uh, court number three. But uh, I expect Nick to get this uh, first hurdle cleared. Uh, Alex Demonor, um, Alexi Popperin, yep. Jordan Thompson, all in action on the men's side of the draw. And so to our number one ranked Aussie woman, Ilya Tomjanovic. Fortunes for them? Yeah, I think there's a, a few wins, uh, certainly amongst uh, the group tonight. And, and for a, a Melbourne girl in, in Jamie Foolis, uh, Bill will be uh, watching in tonight. Her daddy loves mm. the Chrissy, her sisters over there, uh, doing all the social media and sending us uh, plenty of pics uh, back. Uh, look, we'd love to see her run, uh, keep going. But look, Tom Lanovich is the interesting watch uh, tonight. She is our number one ranked female. She's got all the capabilities of being ranked a hell of a lot higher. And uh, hopefully she can, you know, um, just have good memories of her quarterfinal run last year and really put her best foot forward. But, yeah, it's tough. It's tough competition. But, gee, the crowds are heaving, Sam. The grass looks magnificent. It's immaculate. There's no rankings points, but everyone loves getting into the all-whites and being at the most prestigious tournament of the year. Uh, and we like the fact that we have you as uh, our number one man when it comes to the most prestigious tournament in the world. Mate, um, enjoy. It's a long night ahead uh, for you, or a long day ahead for you. Um, enjoy. <laughs> no, we will. No, we're settled in, uh, ready to go. Stamina, Sam, it's what it's all about. Uh, you've got it in spades. See you, mate. Thank you, Sammy. Uh, Brett Phillips, our resident tennis expert, thanks to Hume Tennis. Perfect also for the interstate tennis groups travelling to Melbourne. Check out humetennis.com.au and don't ever forget to check out the first serve. Uh, every Monday night on SEN. Sam Duncan, Scotty Sadler, a big half hour still to come on the Sporting Capital. Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, so much sport going on in the world. We've got a test series with Sri Lanka starting tomorrow. Russell Arnold to join us and Scott Sattler to wrap up game two of State of Origin. Uh, yes, indeed. Looking forward to spending another hour with you on the Sporting Capital. The Harcourt's open line is always open for you. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Sam Duncan from Holmes Glen, uh, our sports media expert, is going to join us as well at 9.30 to discuss uh, the biggest news stories and, and items uh, from a sports media perspective. Uh, and as I said, Scotty Sattler to talk all things Game 2 of the NRL State of Origin. We're all set for a Game 3 decider on the 13th of July, Suncorp Stadium. Blues haven't beaten Queensland in a State of Origin decider at Suncorp since 2005. Uh, so looking forward to catching up with Scotty Sattler from NRL Nation. Uh, Russell Arnold uh, standing by. Uh, just off the text, 0433981116, the temper text, temper mattress like no other. Um, got a text before asking me if I could just explain what the words of my intro music say because uh, the person had slowed it down. They just couldn't quite make out what the singer was saying. So the band is called Fountaineer, one of my best mates from back home in Bendigo. Uh, four stars in Rolling Stone. They supported Gang of Youths on a national tour. Uh, the song is called Sirens, part one and two. 
uh, get it on any good musical streaming service. Uh, and the main uh, lyric of the chorus is, I taught myself to dance, march among the stars, this day will come. That's essentially what uh, is being said uh, in that song. But if you wanted to check it out, it's a brilliant album, Fountaineer, F-O-U-N-T-A-I-N-E-E-R. Sirens Part 1 and 2 is the song. Uh, the album is a belter. Greater city, greater love. Uh, right, let's get stuck in. Oh, by the way, uh, major news tonight. Um, if you're just uh, switching on the wireless, uh, Tom Stewart, tribunal this evening, referred straight to the tribunal by the MRO. Um, careless conduct, severe impact, high contact was the initial call. Um, Geelong rocked up, uh, did not dispute the charges or the grading. They uh, pushed for a three-game suspension. AFL wanted a four-game suspension after 37 minutes of deliberation. The uh, the jury found uh, that a four-week suspension was warranted, and that's what Tom Stewart received. So four-week suspension uh, for Tom Stewart for the hit on Dion Prestia. You can have your say on that, one 736 736 Let's get to our feature guest, but not before hearing from Pat Cummins on SEN um, WA a little earlier on this evening. Um, we're going to go in with kind of two full-time spinners, so Nate Lyon and, and uh, Mitchell Swepson's going to be our second spinner, and then you know, a few all-rounders to chip in. Uh, very much looking forward to the first of two tests beginning uh, tomorrow. SEN's coverage of the Sri Lanka versus Australia Test Series. It starts tomorrow, 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, live on SEN Fanatic and the SEN app with the SEN networks to join in across the day uh, on SEN in Melbourne, 6 p.m. tomorrow night. Join Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, Borat Sunderason, Jeremy Coney, and our special guest this evening, uh, who is a star of 181 Day Internationals with Sri Lanka, uh, 44 tests as well. Uh, can't wait to hear this man in action with our SEN commentary team. Russell Arnold's been good enough to jump on. Russell, hello to you. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Really well. Um, the the couple of series that we've had so far, the T20s and the One Day Internationals. Um, I've been blown away, and, and I think the whole Australian side was with the reception and the support and the love that was given to the Australian team um, by the Sri Lankan crowd uh, in the One Day Internationals, the signs thanking them. Um, we're, we're going into a test series with a lot of love and, and a beautiful spirit um, and a lot of sentiment um, in the air. It's We don't often get to go into a test series like that, but thanks to the Sri Lankan crowd, there's a lot of love in the air, and it's great. Yes, it, it, it's been incredible, really. You touched on the T20 internationals, the one-day internationals. Um, it was amazing to see uh, how the Sri Lankans got behind it because it's been difficult times, as you do know, and there have been lots of struggles. Uh, but cricket has, throughout the years, whatever issues they've been, has brought people together, has given them that little breathing space. This was a fantastic um opportunity to be distracted and uh, furthermore uh, the cricket that the Sri Lankan team put out in terms of competing in my opinion it was the best cricket that they played in a long long time uh, which was um, really good to see pushing the Aussies and even clinching that ODI series uh, was amazing the smiles the emotions that were sitting around was incredible and nothing would have been possible if the Aussies hadn't made that trip across um, and it was um, difficult to project and how the series would go, uh, but the Aussies took that punt, and it, it uh, really did work wonders for the Sri Lankan people, giving them something 
to actually enjoy and savor in hard hard times so uh, going into the test matches we're playing down in goal generally sri lanka do uh, tend to do very well out there and uh, of course um, the hosi uh, are a good good team they are competitive and they will always keep coming back hard and hence uh, from a cricketing point of view too uh, i feel it should be exciting yeah oh absolutely and we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper into the 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 the, uh, the cricket itself in just a moment but i just wanted to ask you russell saw the players and and their response out on the ground when they were getting showered in the adoration and the, and and the appreciation from the Sri Lankan crowd and then the 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 posts that they put on their social media after it i think they were genuinely blown away we take it for granted that we're going to get the best teams in the world coming out to australia every year um how just for, for those who might not be aware and and there's as you say there's a fair bit going on in sri lanka at the moment how important was it for them and and for for your country for australia to to come on this tour and, and to come to sri lanka Yes, yeah, so initially I touched on what it did for the people in terms of the emotions and uh, uh, put, uh, putting smiles on their faces. But on the other side, um, now it is an economic crisis uh, mm. that Sri Lanka are facing at this stage. Hence, uh, uh, nothing's moving around ni- nicely. People are struggling to find fuel and gas and uh, such issues. So what this does is um, it, it showcases uh, the Aussies were also good enough uh, to go around and also project. what sri lanka has to offer sri lanka tries on tourism yeah and hence the confidence uh, for overseas uh, uh, people to come over um, see what they can experience enjoy and hence if you take that chance they will look after uh, that i must say the warmth of the sri lankan people is mm. incredible that um, you know, when when it comes to that and they don't have much to give but they give you everything if you know what i mean yeah uh, i've always uh, said the best fans in it, cricket best fans in cricket yes yeah. Yeah, so uh, that would make life roll because uh, that will put a lot of people back into jobs and it has a knock-on effect. So from that point of view, uh, the Aussie tour was important. Mm. Um, and then uh, foreign currency flowing in, uh, etc. Because so many other things happening, the, the TV broadcast deals and foreigners coming into uh, for TV production and other aspects that are involved, just gives it a little bit of a kickstart and something to roll on and build on. Uh, that's yeah. Uh, really, we appreciate you providing us with uh, that perspective, Russell. We're speaking to Russell Arn. It's going to be a part of SEN's cricket coverage of the two tests uh, starting tomorrow, our time, uh, 2 p.m. in Gaul. So the Aussie team, we'll start with Russell. Uh, Mitch Swepson's held his spot. Um, he went wickerless in the last test in the Pakistan series that Australia won 1-0. Um, waiting on the fitness of Travis Head, and that'll determine whether Glenn Maxwell makes a return to the Australian test lineup. I want to ask you about the, the the two spinner option. Is it the right call for Australia to have the leggy and the offy in Swepson and Nathan Lyon? I I think so. I I think um you need those options in uh because the pitch will be spinner friendly. It's not a case of um the the pitches being prepared that way. It's a case of that's how it is. With the heat that we have here in Sri Lanka, it's very very difficult to get that balance Uh, or to for it to hold it together over uh, over five days, uh, hence there is deterioration. There will be spin. And uh, one thing that um, over the years that we've always realised is it's good spinners who get something out of it. You look at golf. You go through the stats. Who has picked up wickets? It's always quality spinners. It's hardly any part timers 
who have come out here and dominated as spinners. And, and that's, that's why Nathan Lyon and I would use um, Mitch Swepson as well so that you have your bases covered. A couple of seamers would be in, in any way and you balance your team that way. Yes, it's got to be spin-based, but you don't need to overload it because um, if you can cover your bases, have a few options in, you will look after yourself. Russell, just with Glenn Maxwell, if he does come in, it's looking likely um, if Travis Head can't pass uh, the fitness test. He's had success subcontinent before, hasn't played Sri Lanka in test, and it's been said to um, that especially players from India that he plays within the IPL, that the English team, they laugh at the fact that we don't play Glenn Maxwell in test cricket. They can't believe that we don't have him in our test side. Um, is that a view held in Sri Lanka as well, that... They, you scratch your head and think, why, oh, why do you not have that bloke in your test lineup? Well, a lot of people do think think of it like that because he's immensely talented, Glenn Maxwell, immensely brave in how he plays his cricket. Uh, but there's always been a point where you think, why isn't this guy doing a lot more? Does he take too much risk in his game? And is that the reason why? Now, Glenn Maxwell, we do know he's an attacking player. He's one of the best players of spin. Uh, because the way he plays that sweep, the reverse sweep, he's got options. But when it comes to test cricket, um, your defense is in question. Now, he really hasn't demonstrated that. So can he hold it together to let his attacking game take control is a question that has been thrown out to Glenn Maxwell. And uh, prior to this, he really hasn't given much confidence in that. The key to playing Spain now is trusting your defense. When you defend and you show the bowler that, he's got no way through, then you have the upper hand. Because whenever guys are playing shots, too many shots in um, spinning conditions, the bowler always feels he's got a chance and uh, he will get the better of you. Now, Glenn Maxwell, I think that's the challenge. And this is a great opportunity to show his maturity and his real quality, I would feel. But no one's really seen him in test cricket and hence uh, that doubt, does he have a defence exist? Speaking of Russell Arnold, so playing for the Warren uh, Muralitharan Trophy, last time in Sri Lanka in 2016, it was a 3-0 series win to Sri Lanka. You've just had the, the home one-day international win, the first in, I think it's 30 years. So um, there's a, a real belief, I'd imagine, within the uh, Sri Lankan squad, Russell. Talk us through the major threats from a, a Sri Lankan point of view. You've got some great young batters that are rising up through the ranks. Your captain's number six in the ICC rankings. Uh, where are the strengths for this Sri Lankan side? Yes, that's a very, very good question. Uh, there's a lot of experience in these conditions. The batting's probably their strength, you'd say, because Dimut Karuna Ratna uh, is the man who's been featuring in the ICC rankings and been in uh, the IC, uh, been picked in the ICC team of the year for quite a few years as an opening batsman. Yeah. Uh, so he he's going to be crucial. There's Angelo Matthews, uh, Patumnit Sankar, Dananjay Disilva. They're all. A high in confidence and understanding how to play test cricket. Uh, so making runs, it, it will be crucial to put pressure on Australia. The bowling is not as experienced. A few new spinners have been uh, uh, climbing up the ranks. Uh, you wouldn't probably see the spinners used in the one days. Uh, Ambuldenia, Lassit Ambuldenia, left-arm spinner. He's won test matches for Sri Lanka in the past, especially in South Africa. So he, he's a bowler who you use in different conditions. Why I mentioned South Africa is they're not very spin-friendly conditions, are they? But for him to go out there and show his skills 
in in a in a different environment uh, was commendable for Ambulania. And then there's uh, Ramesh Mendis, who's a very good offie. So these guys are quietly maturing, and they will be a threat. But the key for Sri Lanka will be their batting. If can they get enough runs on the board to put Australia under pressure without scoreboard pressure, I think they would struggle. So getting 350 in trying conditions, they would won't be bad wickets. They will be pitches that will challenge you in different ways. It will challenge your thinking in different ways, your skills, and it will wear and grind you down mentally. Hence, it's it's a it's a very interesting battle. um that you will see it's not, it will not end up being a pitch where bowlers will just dominate uh, bowlers where they'll come and keep picking up wickets whenever they want no it's about making the batsman panic and make those mistakes if you go through the last series where australia lost 3-0 that's what happened australia were panicky they were all over the place in how they looked to approach they were looking for demons in pitches which actually didn't have many and they lost lots of wickets to just the straighter one because mm. they were looking for the turning ball which was not there uh, hence how you set your mind up is going to be crucial but um, sri lanka will get their wickets but they'll need a bit of scoreboard pressure to go with it just two more from me russell um mitch stark had some success last time deploying reverse swing deliveries got 11 wickets in the match in a losing effort um doesn't look to maybe be the same threat this time around depending on what the pitch is doing and I'll get you to speak to that in just a minute we know what Australia has in terms of fast bowling stock is that a concern for you at the moment I couldn't see Lahiru Kumara named uh, in the squad um do you have enough in terms of fast bowling arsenal um to to trouble the Australian batting lineup which has four out of the top 10 in the ICC rankings currently yes there are different bowlers there are youngsters mm. who are coming up asita fernando has been an ex- uh, exciting prospect yes they're short on experience but they've been improving tremendously and they've been showcasing their skills now asita fernando is cocky he's shortish and he'll get the ball through and there are different skills that you use to pick up wickets now why we talk about mitch stark being effective in uh, uh Sri Lankan conditions especially in Gaul now if you don't know how the ground situated we have the sea on three sides and there's a lot of breeze that blows across and yes you might not get much out of the pitch but there's a lot you can do in the wind so Mitch Stark is quick he bowls a lot fuller so if he is clever enough to use that strong breeze he will be a massive threat with the ball moving or wobbling around at that speed um bowlers like wakar yunus uh, uh, wasi makram they have been unplayable here in gaul because they know to move the ball in the air uh, so uh, there are different ways that you can be a, be a threat uh, and supplement a, a spin based attack you, you could say Russell, last question before I let you go, and greatly appreciate your time. Um, based on what you're seeing uh, pitch conditions if you win the toss you're batting or bowling first <laughs> you don't actually you don't think about that right that's not even a question you ask because you because you do know that with the heat that we experience this pitch is going to crumble and you want to bat on a pitch at its best so you do bat first it is a crucial toss to win and still you got to apply yourself because the ball might not come onto the bat early um there could be a bit of moisture so you got to make sure that you do apply yourself just because you win the toss you're not guaranteed a big score so you want to take that advantage and uh, uh, try to be in a position where you can capitalize 
when the deterioration starts happening. Russell, an absolute pleasure to have been able to have a chat to you. Greatly appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing you in action with the, the rest of the team, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, uh, Barat Sundarayson and Jeremy Coney uh, when the coverage starts tomorrow. Go well uh, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, what a thrill. The great Russell Arnold, SEN's coverage of the Sri Lanka versus Australia Test Series. Two Test Series starts 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time live on SEN Fanatic and the SEN app. The SEN networks will join across the day in Melbourne, 6 p.m. tomorrow. But check the SEN app for the broadcast guide. Uh, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, Russell Arnold, uh, who we just heard from there, Barrett Sonder Racing, Jeremy Coney, and the team for every ball of the series live from Gaul. It's all thanks to Henley Homes delivering affordability. They are wonderful supporters of SEN cricket, are the good people at Henley Homes delivering affordability. Uh, from cricket to rugby league, let's talk some state of origin. Scotty Sadler to join me next. Well, that was the moment New South Wales squared the series and they did it in pretty comprehensive fashion, uh, albeit a little controversial as it always is in state of origin. 44 to 12 at Optus Stadium in Perth and didn't the crowd show up and show out and, and didn't it? Absolutely, look a million bucks. Uh, state of Origin, uh, even on the the round field, it uh, on the oval field, it still looked magnificent, um, and the game itself had plenty to talk about it. And uh, there's only one man we get on the Sporting Capital. Uh, he's a former Origin player himself for Queensland, uh, Premiership winner with Penrith uh, back in his heyday, and now uh, you'll hear him a lot um, on uh, Sports Day in Queensland, New South Wales, and right around the SEN network and part of NRL Nation uh, as well. On SEN, Scotty Sattler. Hello, mates. Sammy, how are you, mate? Look, I'm good, albeit, as I'm sure you were, pretty disappointed in the outcome uh, of Game 2. But it does set up uh, an origin decider in uh, on the 13th of July on a Wednesday night, Suncorp Stadium. The Blues haven't won a decider there since 2005, and they don't have an immortal uh, to do <laughs> then what they had back then. Um, what did you make of the game itself? Disappointing result, but um, great atmosphere. Uh, fortunate enough to beat Optus Stadium on Sunday night calling the game for SEN. And it's an amazing facility. It's the best stadium in Australia, I think. I know we've got the MCG, which is tremendous, but in relation to the modern technology and the yeah. digital effects that at a stadium, it's very NFL, American like. It's and you know, it's I couldn't imagine how good it would be to watch a, an AFL game there actually. And a bit difficult to watch a rugby league game live because it's you know, all on the sort of pitch, and it's a fair way away from the from the boundaries. But in saying that, it's just a yeah, really good event. Um, as I said, the outcome was pretty ordinary, but I've got to say, I think Queensland probably got a little bit wrong in their preparation going over and arriving in Perth on Thursday night. Yeah. And uh, New South Wales arriving on Monday. So I think they lost that battle right there. And then to then get the sin binning, which I thought was a massive call in origin, a sin binning, and so to take, be out with, without a play for 10 minutes and also very limited preparation in Perth as well. It, it takes a lot out of you. So take us through that because so we're, we're not too far from half time. Queensland leading 12 to 8 and then ruck infringement after ruck infringement's called six again after six again call uh, is waived. And then all of a sudden, Felice Kafusi's sent to the bin. Just explain to those who weren't quite sure what happened, what happened and why it happened. Yeah, there were so many infringements inside the 20-metre zone. So when New South Wales are attacking and trying to score points and trying to build pressure, 
the referee's basically saying, Ashley Klein, that Queensland were deliberately giving away six agains and um, and getting offside and laying in the ruck that he just had to stamp his authority in the game and, and submit a player to try and you know, stop Queensland and New South Wales from from doing it moving forward. And it was a, it was a huge message. You know, Ten minutes off the field is a long time for a, a small infringement. And I think you know, we've always had this debate, Sammy, that it, sh- it should be probably changed to five minutes. Uh, we used to have five minutes in bins. So 10 minutes in any game is a long time to be 12, under, with 12 men. 10 minutes in a state of origin, well, it's yeah, you can't come back from it. And Queensland were travelling okay, 12-8 at that stage. They get the sin bin against them, and then only about a minute from full time, New South Wales scored to take a 14-12 lead. So I think from that point on, it was always going to be a really you know, a tough uphill battle from from Queensland to get back from that sin binning. And uh, and also, like I said earlier on, the you know the late arrival in Perth. You know the litmus test on whether a decision that's been to the benefit of New South Wales is the right call or not. Uh, when even Gus Gould's saying, "No, no, that shouldn't have been the call." So if <laughs> Gus, if Gus is saying that New South Wales shouldn't have got that call, then you know that it's a contentious one and maybe shouldn't have occurred. Um, What's been the fallout from it since, and has there been um, the seal of approval from the powers that be? Well, yeah, the we spoke to Graham Annesley, actually Executive General Manager of all the major competitions uh, tonight on Sports Day, and he was very happy with Ashley Klein's performance. Billy Slater um, was was humble after the game and said, "I'm not going to blame the officials or the referees. We've just got to be better as a side." And uh, fortunately, the game goes to a decider. As you said, in two Wednesdays, or three Wednesdays, I should say, and uh, and I suppose it was how Billy re- responded after the game, which was going to be really important about how quickly Queensland can can recover, because it is it's a demoralising defeat, one of the biggest defeats in Queensland history, and to do that after such a you know, such a spirited and, and courageous performance in game one. Yeah, they've got to get back on the horse really quickly, but take nothing away from New South Wales and those Penrith players. They're absolutely outstanding, seven of them in the side. And, and you can see the combination they had played a huge part in what the result, you know, the end result was. And, you know, it didn't have everything to do with the official. I thought the 10, taking my Queensland hat off, and I was calling for SEN in the neutral call, and I generally am a, a rugby league lover first and foremost. I thought it was a really tough call in a big game like an origin. I thought it was a, a really rough call with only a minute to go before half time. Maybe give another six again when you get to half time. You speak to the captain of Queensland, Daly Cherry, and say, listen, if it continues in the second half, I'm going to sing bin someone. Yep. You make the decision as a captain. Have a talk to your team at half time. Let's restart again in, in the second half. I thought that would have been probably the wise decision for Ashley Klein. Um, but yeah, it had a, had a huge effect on Queensland. Yeah, withstand any pressure. So New South Wales, uh, as you'd expect them to do after they'd applied so much offensive pressure to the Maroons, who uh, you, you just got the feeling they were going to buckle uh, at some point, especially being a, a player down as as they were for for those ten minutes, and and the uh, the sin bidding happened just in the shadows of the first half. So yeah, it's no surprise that um, after half time the, the tries started to uh, come thick and fast. Nathan Cleary got a couple as well. Uh, 44 to 12 win in the end, but their defence was phenomenal. New South Wales, their kick game as well. Scotty, what what impressed you about the Blues? Uh, probably the second half of Nathan Cleary. You know, everyone's oh, been yeah. asking Nathan, even though he's a great player, Nathan, as a halfback, you've really got to stamp your authority on origin. And he hadn't really stamped his authority um, where he's basically 
the one Pied Piper that is controlling every facet of the game, and he did that in the second half. Yeah, you know, scored true, laid on a couple. The kicking game was was pinpoint and specific, and he really treated Queensland like a, like chess players. He just pushed them around the field and did whatever he wouldn't do. Those you know, players in the past, like Alfie Langer and, and Andrew Johns, have been doing that, been able to do that in years gone by. So, pretty special moment for for Nathan Cleary. Uh, what else really impressed me, Sammy, was. And Brad Fittler's admitted that he got it wrong in game one with his selection, bringing Jake Trebojevic in, 71 minutes in the front row on a state of origin, and came up with 31 tackles, 150 metres. But he came up with all these little tiny little plays that mm. probably go unnoticed to a lot of people. There's, there's little clean-up plays defensively that having him in the side, he just he brought the team together defensively. So, And that just had a ripple effect across the entire, the entire side. Yeah, Matt Burton now they're saying that he might be uh, one of the next million-dollar men in the NRL. Such was the, the gravity and, and the how, how impressive his debut was. So it's amazing what Origin can do um, for your career and, um, and, and for your standing within the game after playing one good one uh, and a very, very good one on, on debut. Uh, a couple of incidences out of it, Scotty. Um, speaking of Scotty Sattler, former Queensland Origin player, Penrith Panthers Premiership player, uh, won the Panthers a premiership, if you don't mind, with that tackle uh, back in 05, wasn't it, Scotty, or 04? 03. 03. Oh, third time's yep. a charm. Um, so <laughs> the Kalen Ponga hit from Nathan Cleary, who came off the line, he was placed on report but not charged. And then uh, Steve on. Crichton was uh, cleared by the match review committee but uh, putting the shoulder into Cam Munster, but he's now in doubt for game three. Um, do you tick off, from your view, both those incidents? Yeah, they're fine. Play on. Yeah, you know, Queensland had a, a couple of situations in game one that they could probably question um, about the you know the viability of a, you know playing within the game mm. and the rules with with contact. So yeah, play on. And Origin is it's played at a breakneck speed, and sometimes yeah, you know, there's so much body movement, so many variables. It's, it's it's hard to react at the last moment. So yeah, I haven't got a problem with it at all. So the Maroons couldn't score uh, after half time. Such was the the. the the strength of the Blues' defence. Game three decider. Suncorp alone's not going to win it for them. Um, is there any changes that Billy Slater needs to make, in your view? Well, I don't think there's really anyone to change with, to be quite honest. And But if, if you really put your thinking cap on, going to a decider at Suncorp Stadium, try and find a player that's got really good success there, an experienced player, I probably think, at a pinch, young Murray Tawalangi, who's had a great season for the Cowboys and made his debut on on Sunday night on the wing. Maybe Corey Oates from the Broncos comes in. If he has a, a big game on the weekend against the Cowboys, funnily enough, um, he, he could force his way into the side. Big winger and yeah. scores a lot of tries. And he's built like a front rower, so he's really hard to control. He's always wanted um, to be a front that, rower too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Out of that, I, I don't think there's too many changes. I I really think, and there's got to be a reason why Billy Slater's not using Josh Papali'i, one of the best front rowers in the game. I don't know why he's not using him more often. Only had 21 minutes in the first half, mm. had about the same in the second game as well. So in the first game and about the same in the second game. So, um, yeah, probably more around what's going on from a, uh, a replacement point of view is something that he's going to look at. But um, outside of that, I don't think there's too many changes for, for Queensland. Are they a little bit light on in the front row, the, uh, the Queensland? Scotty, I mean, New South Wales' front row looks <laughs> bloody intimidating. Uh, they've got all the size, but we know that's not everything 
when it comes to front rows, your feet and uh, how you're able to, to, to use your body to hold your line and, and all of that comes with it. But are they just a little light on? Uh, no, not light on. Probably what they're missing is Ruben Cotter, who was mm. injured in game. Sorry, yeah. injured for the Cowboys warming up a couple of weeks ago. So missed game two. What they was able to do is Ruben Cotter played 80 minutes and you need to play the plays 80 minutes and, and cleaned up a lot of the, the little dirty areas of the game like Jake Trebojevic did for, for New South Wales in game two. And having Ruben there, it allowed Queensland to have this rotation of Pat Carrigan was great off the bench. Lindsay Collins, great off the bench in game one. But they started with Josh Papali and Tino Fasul Malawi. So now that Cotter's out, you've got to drag one of those out and add someone in. Mm. And it, yeah, it disrupts the routine and the flow and the rhythm of the side. So, um, yeah, I don't think they're light on. They've got good enough players and better players to match New South Wales on their day, and they did that in game one. So, they did? Yeah, what they've got to do is they've just got to be able to, they've got to, be able to control the, the control of you know, the, the, all facets of the game. They didn't do that in game two. I think the sin bidding really took a lot of gas out of them. They were unable to be as effective and play with a lot of speed and a lot of intensity like they yep. did in game one because they controlled the game in game one. They've just got to get back to the basics of game two and make sure they don't get anyone sin binned. And, and if they do that, well, they know they can win the game because they did in game one. So game three is just set up to be one of the all-time classics. Absolutely. So last question. So Freddie Fittler's got to do something. That, that that hasn't been done by New South Wales since Andrew Johns led them to victory in 2005 in a decider at Suncorp. He's shown that he's happy to tinker, to throw the magnets around, uh, as we say in AFL parlances, um, and to make changes to a side. Does he resist the urge to make change, or does he look to maybe throw a, another cat amongst the pigeons, bringing back maybe a Latrell Mitchell at the expense of possibly Steve Crichton. Um, Jack Whiten should be back from COVID. Does he bring him back in? You can't drop Matt Burton, surely. So does he change anything, Freddie, or does he back it in and double down? Yeah, well, Latrell's one of those special players. Yeah. But uh, coming back from a, a hamstring injury and a bad hamstring injury as well, I'd be really apprehensive about doing that. And also, you've got to remember, um, Sammy, when you've got that left side, Matty Burton, and you've got Nathan Cleary, and you've got yeah. Brian Toto, and you've got Isaiah Yo, all defending together. And then on the other side, you've got Liam Martin, Jerome Luai, and Steve Crichton. They all play the club footy together. Yeah. So defensively, it just makes sense to keep them together. So I don't think I don't think you make any changes in that regard. I think the only change he may make is a real player favourite of Freddie Fittler is Jack White, and he did miss the last. He missed Origin two because of COVID. Yeah, and that's why Matty Burton was brought in. He's back this week for Canberra. If anything, I think he'll probably force his way onto the bench yep. for Sifatalakai, who made his debut from the Cronulla Sharks. So I think that's the only difference. Yeah, you know, you know, any changes you make, but in relation to Crichton and Burton, it'll be game as usual. Geez, you must be almost split. Scotty, given that you're a Queenslander, but there's about half the New South Wales team of Penrith players. It must be tough on the head and heart for you, my friend, but uh, can't wait for game three. Um, your call of it was great with Jimmy, as it always is, and we'll look forward to repeating the dose and uh, hopefully a Queensland win as well, mate. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, anytime, Sammy. Listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, time for our sports media question of the week. And uh, the man we turn to, he is the course leader of the sports degrees at Holmes Glen. Upskill your career, learn more, do more at Holmes Glen. Sam Duncan. Hello, mate. 
Sam. Good to be with you. Hey, um, big games equal big deal. So round 15, massive round of footy. All teams in the top eight played another team in the top eight. No coincidence that we had uh, the third most attended round of the year. TV audiences are up. It shows that games matter and the value of those matter. What did you make of it? Oh, I think you're 100% correct. Just happened to have a game where, as you said, all top eight teams played each other, and more than that, the consequences of so many games were, you know, mattered a lot. And by about this stage of the season, we start having conversations about inconsequential games and whether the season's too long and how the AFL could engage with the fans for longer, particularly those teams down the the bottom. Now, there's a lot of fans that say, for God's sake, just leave the game alone and don't talk about any of those types of things. But I guess the, the bottom line is that's why the AFL does. To, to, you know, try and produce rounds like we just had where there's something on the line for almost every team. That's why we get discussions about, you know, conference systems. It's why we get discussions around, you know, teams playing off for, for draft picks. It's why we get conversations around wildcard weekends so that we get a situation where teams further down the bottom uh, have something on the line which makes the games more interesting, which adds value to the product. So they're all things that will probably in some way, shape or form, be introduced at some stage in the future, Sam. Well, the AFL now have said they're not going to do the floating fixture anymore as of next year. So the whole idea about that was trying to do what they were able to do with this round. So that's going to be wiped. So does that mean then that we have too many inconsequential games? And then how do you put the value on not being able to manufacture a draw where the best-performed teams play in the best time slots, given that they're going to want top dollar in the TV rights negotiations that are taking place at the moment? Well, it's one of the great uh, conundrums that they, they face when they're trying to satisfy their stakeholders. There's no doubt that the media partners want the rolling fixture, and it might go away next year, but perhaps with the next ride, it may very well come back. Ah. Um, uh, who knows? Uh, and, and, you know, then they've got the fans. And the AFL, you know, the, the two biggest stakeholders are the fans, who they say are the biggest, but the media, who, you know, bankroll the game, mm. to be frankly honest. So, you know, they, they would work with their stakeholders, particularly their commercial stakeholders, on how they can increase the value of the game. And, I mean, we often have conversations about shorter seasons, and sometimes that's led by another stakeholder, the players. But in actual fact, if you had 17 games, you probably will have a situation where there's a lot on the line for every game or for most rounds of the season. A form slump in a 17-round season could be costly. Uh, and so, you know, these mechanisms always get spoken about. They're generally for commercial reasons. How, in a really ultra-competitive media um, and sporting landscape, can we ensure that each and every game is worth something? Uh, And if we are going to get a situation, Sam, where on a Friday night we're not necessarily going to get the best game, then all the more reason to make sure there's something on the line um, for whatever game it is. Sam, I'm going to set you another bit of homework uh, for next week and we'll speak longer, I I assure you. Um, There's some TV rights deals that have been happening all around the world. I'm talking IPL, I'm talking Formula One uh, in the US. Uh, Jake Nile reporting last week that uh, Seven and Foxtel are AFL's preferred options, but it's thought that Ten and Paramount Plus are likely to offer more. So we're going to get you just to take us through what's happening in the world at the moment when it comes to traditional TV rights offers versus streaming rights offers. So that's your homework for next week, my friend. We'll speak to you then.
Looking forward to it, Sam. A huge amount happening in that space. So uh, we'll we'll analyse it uh, through the microscope next week. Brilliantly done. Uh, that is why he's the course leader of sports degrees at Holmes Glen. Our sports media expert studies sports, business, health and building and construction. Apply now. Learn more. Do more at Holmes Glen. Uh, thanks so much for your company uh, tonight on the Sporting Capital. If you missed anything, it's up on the podcast page. Just repeating, the big story of the night is Tom Stewart. Four-week suspension for the hit on Dion Prestia. A heap to get through, and there'll be plenty to talk about tomorrow uh, when Gary and Tim are back from 6am. Enjoy. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.